Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Ken. I'm joining me in studio as always. It's Padawan Jay. I got to say, I know for me and I think for some of you here at the show as well, uh, locks and leaps this past week in the NFL was ugly. I'm talking like you're the unfortunate person who has to clean up Bourbon Street after Mardi Gras ugly. It was brutal. Yeah. And we are going to get into it in just a minute, but returning from his journey to the stadium his his uh his pilgrimage my yes to metlife yes it is your coach it is my coach it is the coach back from metlife stadium coach duffy well i can say that you know it was a good saturday and a really long sunday i've got just <laughs> one question did you find the undertaker's urn there i did not find the undertaker's urn but okay. i was on the search for a black cat any of them, apparently, of the 18 rumored cats that are living in MetLife. See, I've heard it's as high as like 300. I've heard that. I heard 18. I've heard, you know, 100. I was on the search for them. My wife was also. We were going to take one home if we found it. Unfortunately, no black cats were had that well, day. Well, and funny side story. Somebody was asking me about that because they know I watch sports. I'm like, yeah, I saw it. I'm like, it was pretty funny. They're like, oh, did, were they able to catch it and give it a home? I'm like, no, it's feral. No, that thing is going to bite you. Yep. I mean, it's still got more yards in MetLife right now than Saquon Barkley. This is true. That is a very scary statistic. But let's just jump right into it. OchoDuroParlayHour.com has all our links to our social media accounts. We definitely want to interact with you, so join in on that and use the hashtag ODPH when you're joining in the conversation. Because let's just jump right into it. If you're into locks and leaps and you're just listening to the show for the first time, instead of breaking down every game in the NFL, what we've been doing is having a little competition, picking a favorite and picking an underdog via the Vegas line, and breaking down each game and seeing who's right and who's wrong. The competition is getting very fierce between Padawan J and Rich from Three Fat Nerds. I gotta defend my belt. You gotta defend this the belt. This week didn't help. No, it definitely Oy. did not. So why don't you start us off, Pat? Who was your lock and what happened? Well, so my lock was the New Orleans Saints to beat the Atlanta Falcons because I'm sitting here. Atlanta's one and seven. Uh, New Orleans is seven and one. Drew Brees coming off a bye week. It's in the Superdome. Atlanta's been god-awful. You're welcome for that NFC South division. My Patriots just broke the Atlanta Falcons. And, and then the, the Atlanta Falcons came in and went, yeah, about that. Defeated the New Orleans Saints by a final score of 26-9. to Matt Ryan, 20 of 35 for 182 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Drew Brees, 32 of 45 for 287 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Coach, what the hell happened here? <sighs> Uh, it's as the coach, uh, not our coach, but a coach once said, what the hell's going on out here? I mean, an opportunity for the Saints to pick up a, a division win against a lonely division opponent, and they come out and put up a dud. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't even call it a trap game because they're playing Tampa Bay next week. Yeah. So it's not like they were like, all right, in the headlights here, you know, what do we got next week? And, and especially coming off of a bye with the fact that Drew Brees is back in the lineup, and then you come out and you put up an absolute stinker against the Atlanta Falcons is inexcusable no yeah i mean it's definitely inexcusable and i mean you look at it where the entire division except for tampa bay lost this past week so you look at it you know they're sitting in first place at seven and two carolina's five and four tampa bay's three and six atlanta's two and seven you really had a chance to like okay we're not talking you know division you won the division you're a coasting you're on easy street to the end of the season but you really got a, a chance to put some separation between you and the competition and, and really almost you know have the door three quarters closed on winning this thing 
Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I, we should ask Donald Glover. I mean, really, Atlanta, it, and this is the thing, though, is I don't think it was so much of Atlanta just finally clicking as it was just the fact that New Orleans just was asleep at the wheel. Because, I mean, Drew Brees still had a heck of a day. I mean, 287 yards passing. You know, obviously they couldn't get the run game going, but Michael Thomas caught 152 yards worth of passes. Mm-hmm. And no touchdowns for either you know either yeah. guy. So it's kind of like, what was going on with New Orleans? Like, why weren't they able to just stick these into the end zone? It doesn't make any sense. Well, I think it's Atlanta's defense finally showed something good god because that's been their one issue is their defense and their offense too because let's be honest they've got enough talent on offense that they should be throwing all and running all over the yard but you look at the game atlanta's defense got to drew Brees six times and sacked him six times i get he's a great quarterback and one of the best of all time but you get him sacked six times it's going to be hard for them to get anything going no matter how much he throws the most inconsistent team in all the nfl even more so than the formerly known as san diego chargers yeah this is true Atlanta decided to show up for a week and be a spoiler in more ways than one. If you were doing survivor pools, that probably knocked you out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that was probably a pretty I guarantee popular pick. There was pick. a lot of people in their survivor pools looking at what game they're going to pick, and they're like, ooh, this one will do good. Well, I mean, let's just talk about the fact that we were all on board with just this being a New Orleans event, you know, revenge tour that, you know, they were still seeking vengeance after what happened last year. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they've come out of the gate. They played well. Drew Brees goes down, in comes uh, Bridgewater. Bridgewater, Bridgewater comes in, saves the day, wins some games that probably people didn't predict him to win and played well in them. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden, instead of being like, well, probably what a lot of people thought of being like five and four or even worse, four and five, here they are seven and two. Yeah. Yeah, this is more of a trap game than I think anybody was realizing. And I think that looking at this game, this should have been a pushover. For Breeze and company, they got to look in the mirror and go, okay, what happened? And if they decide to let their guard down the rest of the season like this, they're going to get bounced out of the playoffs really quick because they are projected to get there unless some colossal collapse happens. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, I just I don't think that this is the, you know, you want to hang your hat on this being the New Orleans Saints. You know, I think that the game, you know, Drew Breeze's game two weeks ago, the first one that he came back in, you know, that's the New Orleans team that you can expect. Obviously, Kamara just coming back this week, too. So there was, you know, some things that were being worked out. You like know? Kamara, I mean, Kamara only had four carries for 24 yards. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some things that are kind of being worked out, and, and I think that they just went into this game and not necessarily didn't want to show things. I just think that they just... It was just a, a fall a fall sleep at the wheel game. I think next week coming out against Tampa Bay, you're going to see the true New Orleans Saints. Yeah, they're definitely going to have a test uh, test for the rest of the month because their remaining three games for the month of November are all divisional games. So New Orleans definitely has some work to do, and obviously this could have been a trap game, but to get knocked out at home like that. That's a bad loss, in my opinion. It's not a good look. No, it's definitely not a good look, but it's something not to hang the hat on or say, okay, this is the rest of the season moving forward. Not in, not entirely. This is just something for New Orleans that as they're heading into the playoff stretch, and we are getting into the playoff talk now, no, going yeah. into mid-November, into <sighs> heading into the summer. I mean, you have, to, you have to be talking about it right yeah, now. Yeah, for New Orleans, they can't have games like this until they've clinched up something. For Atlanta, yeah, you can celebrate. You won your second game of the year. It still doesn't matter. You're an awful team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, well, you're not in the push for Tua, so I mean, no. at the end of the day, you're not really worried about it. I mean, this as a Giants fan is very troubling for me because it's like Chase Young to me is the pick that 
you know, I'm looking for the Giants to get. And obviously with the way that Atlanta's defense is, that would probably be the pick that they would make too. So now it's like the chase for Young. I like what I did there. I see is what, what uh, is what makes me, you know, the most nervous because if both teams are, you know, hovering around the same draft pick and Atlanta edges the Giants, there's no way they sleep on picking Ch- uh, Young. No, Atlanta's going to have a lot of work to do in the offseason no matter what. They have to implode the team and go rebuild. Point blank. I mean, we've been saying that for weeks too. <laughs> no, we have, but this game is not something to band-aid a wound. I no. just, I mean, at this point, I don't think, and I'm mean, switching over to Atlanta. I just don't think that with this performance, that I think that almost maybe, you know, in the ownership and front office there with Dan Quinn, I almost think that they see this as maybe something of a resurgence. That maybe if they do salvage the rest of the year, that they don't blow it up. You still got Julio Jones. You still have Calvin Ridley. You still have Austin Hooper, even though he's hurt now for the next month. You still got Matt Ryan. You know, the run game, hit or miss, but mm-hmm. it always has. And, you know, obviously you have some pieces defensively that, you know, getting an edge rusher like Young might help take you to the next level. I mean, they got a Young secondary. So it's like the pieces are there. It's just got to click. And that's why we always say, who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Because we all think that they can be good. It's just it's not whatever for whatever reason there's a mental block with this team that they can't win games. The ghosts of the Patriots still haunt yeah. them. I mean the thing the front office of the Falcons need to remember is you know okay you got two passing grades if we're using you know grade school logic here you've got seven failing grades one win ain't helping your overall average. <laughs> this is true. No, definitely not. So you can't camouflage a bad <sighs> season with one win. So Atlanta, you can celebrate, but you know you're back to being Atlanta next week against Carolina, which that could go either way as well. Coin toss. So New Orleans, they got some work to do. Atlanta, they can hope to continue and you know try finishing out the season strong. Pad, what about your leap though? So my leap was I was picking the Detroit Lions to beat the Chicago Bears because Chicago was a team when you look at the last couple weeks and it's my God, what the heck are they? You know who the heck are they? But they managed to eke out a win against the Detroit Lions by a final score of twenty to thirteen. Jeff Driscoll of for Detroit, uh, twenty seven of forty six for two hundred and sixty nine yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Matthew Stafford did not play because I think he had a back injury of some sort. He has like three. Broken bat, like bones in his back. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so when you made this, you know, leap pick, you were also projecting that Matthew Stafford was going to be there, so that did not help you. No, uh, Mitchell Trubisky on the flip side, sixteen of twenty-three for one hundred and seventy-three yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Still not impressed with Trubisky. No, I mean, how can you be? No, no nothing is scaring me about the Bears' offense. It is what it is, and we've said for a while now with Trubisky at the helm, he needs more weapons. They haven't given him any. I'd say the Bears also need an O-line, I would say, because the Detroit Lions got to Trubisky five times. Well, you know with his who is their head coach? Uh, can I tell you off the top of my head? Detroit? Detroit? Patricia. Oh, Detroit, yeah, Detroit, Patricia. Patricia. I thought Patricia. we were talking Chicago. <laughs> no, no, no. Matt Nagy. Yeah. Well, no, what I'm saying is with Detroit, you know their defense is going to step up and they're going to do schemes, obviously, under Patricia. Yeah. Right, and I mean, it, the defense has been a little inconsistent as the year has gone on yeah. here. I mean, they played well against the Giants, and then obviously, uh, I mean, I would play, you know, say that having a quarterback go 173 yards, even though he did have three touchdowns, is still a pretty solid defensive performance. Mm-hmm. It's a solid performance and, you know, nothing to really sneeze about, but still, for Chicago, what is it? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's something to make the fans feel good during the week. For them, I mean, as if I was a Chicago fan, I feel like just every week I would be ripping my hair out because even though you won this game, to be 
having you know only win by a touchdown against a very lonely Detroit team, I would be wicked frustrated because here you have one of the best defensive players in all of football in Khalil Mack. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a very good defense behind him. Yeah. It's not like it's just you have one piece and then, you know, everybody else is garbage around him. They have a very good secondary. They have a very good front four. They have a very good, you know, linebacker core. And it's like, you know, how, your offense is always what lets you down. Then here, finally, they put up 13, you know, 20 points. You know, Trubinsky has a moderately good game. And you only win by seven when you probably should have yeah. won by 27. It definitely is a telling sign of what they are. And if they can't go and blow out a bad team like Detroit, who obviously has fallen off the rails ever since that, you know, mysterious yeah. call game. Yeah. I mean, how, and, and then, I, then you're a Detroit fan. How frustrated are you right now? You're sitting here at 3 5 and 1 and probably should be 6 and 3 instead. Yeah. The uh, dice did not roll in your favor. So no, nah, it has not this year. And with Jeff Driscoll at the helm, it's going to be a bumpy road. Let's a face bit. it. Yeah, who knows so, what is going to happen there. I will say things in Chicago are going to get ugly, though, because their opponents for the remainder of the year are the Rams, Giants, Lions, Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, Vikings. Well, that Giants isn't going to be games. There's a couple games that are winnable, but if they got to get in a shootout with Aaron Rodgers. No, they're toast. The there's no way. Well, yeah, toast. no, they'll final three round, three games of the season or like the final three rounds against Mike Tyson in his prime. Good luck. Safe to say that if they weren't sit, I mean, if they were six and three right now, mm-hmm. I'd say, all right, they've got an opportunity with, you know, Green Bay, I believe, sitting at seven and two right now to yes. still make a play for the division or even a wild card spot. But four and five with the way that this offense plays. They're done. Yeah. Forget it, Chicago fans. It is toast. Just just start playing guys and figuring out stuff for next year. Yeah. It's a, it's a wrap, and for Chicago, I'd start looking at quarterback issues. I mean, Cam Newton yeah. allegedly is going to be available. That might be an avenue they want to go down. Yeah. Kaepernick's getting a big tryout for some teams, so that could be another alternative. You know, and I don't know if it's necessarily just that or if Trebinsky just needs a number one because I, I, I don't think he's great, but I also don't think he's Trent Dilfer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so he's not I, throwing dimes. Well, I just I don't see him as being just a guy who you can plug and play behind a, a good defense and just he's going to manage a game. You know, like uh, Dilfer did with that uh, Ravens defense of oh one. Mm-hmm. I still think that Trubinsky is capable of being a solid quarterback. Not great. Not you know definitely in that division. I would put him probably third or fourth. You know, and I would put Cousins and I would put. Uh, Aaron Rodgers obviously ahead of him. I'd put I no yeah I'd, I'd put him last if you if you have a healthy Matthew Stafford. Yeah, if you have a healthy Matthew Stafford, yeah, I put him fourth. But I think that's fourth in the division with really good quarterbacks. That right. you know maybe if he's on a different team that you know if you plug him in with uh, you know like a Dallas, you know you get Dak out of there just magically and all of a sudden Trubinsky is a quarterback. I still think Dallas is a pretty good team because you have Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott, and I think Trubinsky could work with that. So I think if they go out and they could find a number one receiver, I don't think they need to make a move at the quarterback position. No, Trubinsky is, is definitely serviceable. He, you know, he's not a Aaron Rodgers, yeah, Tom no. Brady level where like crunch time, two minutes left in the game. I know my quarterback's got this. <clears throat> you forgot. Tr- you forgot a name. Uh, Eli Manning. Thank you. Uh, you know the down crunch time, two minutes down. Three points, you know. Yeah, like whatever. I'm not like, oh what? boy, Trubisky's got this. Yeah, you know, uh, that's more. Uh, can we get the defense back on the field because the defense might have a better shot than he does? Yeah, exactly. like that's a oh god, please just get us in field goal range. And then if you're a Bears fan, you're like, oh god, even please make even, a field goal. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say field goals are no <laughs> guarantee for Chicago. Chicago just has so much work to do. It's it's not even funny. 
and they're going to have a very long offseason with a lot of questions to ask. Let's say, is Phil Jackson available to coach for them? <laughs> he could try running the triangle, triangle offense on oh, the, in the that, NFL. That'd be amazing. That'd be, that'd something. be something. You, you got Cohen. You can definitely run point on that. Yeah, really? yeah, it would be all right. Food for thought. But let's go into your lock, Coach. Well, <laughs> my lock, I, I mean. Ken's got a bone to pick with you on this one. No, that's no, his, that's, that's my leap. leap. Oh, my that's lock. right. Oh, we're, well, get, we're well, getting there. My lock was the uh, Cowboys yeah. at home against the Lonely Vikings, uh-huh. which I thought for a second I got excited. I was like, wait, I picked the Vikings. But no, 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 because Kirk Cousins is terrible against 500 teams on the road, on prime time. Everything was working against them. Cowboys, easy, three-point favorites. Thought this was going to be an easy lock. Whoops. But nothing. Whoops. Nothing. Nope. I mean, Dallas goes out and just, I mean, put uh, not only the fact that they should just be used to playing Sunday nights because, I mean, it's every other week that they're playing on Sunday. This literally should just be like, all right, yeah, we got another game on Sunday night. No big deal. You like, yeah, but they go out and put up a stinker of a performance. I mean, and the craziest thing was here's Dak Prescott just slinging the ball against this defense, which, mind you, is a pretty good secondary. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they opt to start running the ball. Yeah. What? Just because you need to get Zeke carries or what? Like, what are you making that play call for? Well, and especially you look at just the first quarter alone. Like, if, you, if you're getting home late from, you know, out with the family, out, you know, doing something, you know, raking some leaves or whatever, and you and you turn a, turn the game on, it's just, you know, a couple minutes into the, into the second quarter, you're going, my God, Minnesota's put up 14 on, on, on Dallas, and Dallas has got nothing? Whoa. But then you look at it, and Dallas responds 14 of their own in the second quarter with Minnesota only getting three. But, no, I mean, you look at it. Kirk Cousins, 23 of 32 for 220 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Dak Prescott, 28 of 46 for 397 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, shout out Randall Cobb, one pass attempt. Dare I say... Is Kirk Cousins turning the corner? I would say he likes that. I mean, I should probably apologize to him for betting against him here. I mean, obviously his apologies work, so maybe I can get back in the win column with an apology to Kirk. Because, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something where he's now put up pretty solid performances as the year has gone on since the apology to, to Thielen and Diggs. I don't necessarily think it's so much Kirk Cousins as I think this team's finally just clicking. Yeah. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah, Cousins, Cousins is obviously playing well. Like, I don't want to discredit him, but I just think that this team gets it. I think that they get that they can build off of Delvin Cook, that teams are worried about him more than they're worried about Kirk Cousins and these wide receivers, which makes zero sense to me. Mm-hmm. So they are able to just beat you to death with, with the same thing that the Rams did last year. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, play action. And you are biting on that play action because your fear of Delvin Cook breaking a big mm-hmm. run outweighs your fear of them making a completed pass to one of these wide receivers. They're clicking at the right time, and this is a perfect time for them to sneak in the wild card. I mean, I don't think they're going to catch up to Green Bay. No, there's no, there's no way. No way. They'll get close. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just – well, maybe I'll take that back. Maybe they will because Green Bay's defense is not playing very well right now. Not right now, but I. But it's, like I said, it's going to be close. Like it could come down to like a week sixteen game. Sure. Oh that, yeah. That's that's how I'm kind of seeing this. But for Minnesota, since Cousins decided to do his apology tour, he's got a little new motivation. And the one thing about Kirk Cousins is, if you want to see him play well, tick him off, mm-hmm. yeah. call him out, call him out. When he is calm and like everything's happy and everything's going right. He lets his play level drop. Count well, that Google paycheck that he has. Well, exactly. and, you, and you, 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 we all remember that whole debacle, whatever you want to call it, the week of where it was the apology. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, the radio show. And that's all the team heard about that entire week. And what happened the following Sunday? They came out and balled. 
Yeah, that's the whole thing. Once Cousins was kind of saying, okay, I'm going to own up to this. This was his way of saying to his team, okay, I'm going to put the team on my back. You're giving me $90 million. Let me say that's worth it. And he's actually showing that they're worth. They're mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah, the defense has looked very clutch too. No, the yeah. defense is definitely woken up because going into the year, I mean, we all thought that they were going to have a better defense than what it lived up and performed the last few weeks, uh, or the week, you know, in the early part of the season. But since that, they've really stepped up their game and playing very, very well. Well, yeah, the Vikings yeah. defense. You really got to give them their dues because you hold Ezekiel Elliott twenty carries for forty-seven yards. Yeah, and sure, Dak Prescott went off and had three ninety-seven. But it's like when you talk about shutting down one facet of the game with the run game for Dallas. I mean, I'm not worried about Dak Prescott going down and beating me. I mean, listen, thank you, Amari Cooper, for single-handedly keeping me in my fantasy <laughs> football game this week because everybody else stunk up the joint. I agree. you got to make Dak beat you. Like if, yeah. you take, if you take Elliott out of that game and out of Dallas's offense, beating Dak is not exactly the hardest thing in the world to do. He, is, is he going to ball with you? Sure. He'll definitely oh, yeah. throw. He'll put up some numbers. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give him time in the pocket, he's going to hit wide receivers. Yeah, but that's anybody. <laughs> if you give Trubisky time in the pocket, he's going to hit somebody. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some I mean, of those throws. I, but I didn't say who, but he's going to hit somebody. Yeah, he's right. be somebody holding a clipboard on the sidelines. My point, though, <laughs> going into this is for Dallas, you got your main weapon taken away, and for a guy that's screaming he wants $40 million a year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Prescott's got to win these games. I mean, especially when he performs the way that he does and has 397 and can't get one more in the end zone to win a game. Yeah. That's on him. Yeah, this was a winnable game for the Cowboys. Don't let the score fool you. It's not like Minnesota locked them down from beginning to end. No, Dallas was putting up points in the second half, but when it came down to it to get the winning drive going in, it just didn't happen. And for Dallas, you have a lot of people asking for more money next season. <laughs> Yeah, you do. <laughs> Make them earn that check because if you're going to be sitting there five and four, granted you're in the weakest division in all the NFL. And, and we've discussed this uh, at great length. And the only reason they're in first place is they have a tiebreaker over Philly based on head-to-head win percentage. Yeah, right, which could easily change. That could, flip uh-huh. that could be a coin flip by the time it's easily, all Easily. Easily. I mean, they, if they Dallas has essentially got to win out here just because the way you look at it and the way the other teams are behind them, if you look at playoff standings, a couple games slide, they're on the outside looking in. Right, so for Dallas – for all they're talking, they got to do that walking. And I don't know how that's going to play out. Because if you're asking Dak to carry you to the playoffs, it's not out of the realm of thought, but looking at that team on paper, it's, I, it's I don't do- know. It's doable, but you're definitely a little nervous. Oh, I'd be very nervous. Minnesota, they're feeling really good right now. Dallas, not so much. But have to see how the rest of the season plays out. So, Coach... You got some explaining. I know you. You got some explaining to do. Oh, let's. What is going on? I so my leap was a lonely two point favorite Cleveland Browns having Buffalo and nobody circles them wagons like the Buffalo Bills unless they're dogs going into Cleveland because they looked like dogs. I will take this one. Yeah, take it. I will have a lot to say about this. Okay, so obviously with the Bills at the time being six and two going into Cleveland, who is abysmal. And the team, we talk about, well, Atlanta is the worst team in the league, and you can add me at OD Parlay Hour all you want about it. It's like it. Cleveland is busy shaving their beard three times in a game. Cleveland is buying into their own hype, and they obviously haven't done it, going into this game being 2-6. and six. But when they decided to show up and actually use that talent on the field, they wound up pulling a win out, 19-16. to 16. Albeit, though, it was an ugly game on both sides of the ball. It wasn't anything really to write home about by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Josh Allen, 266, thrown in the air. 
but there was a lot of passes. He could have definitely hit more, going 22 for 41. I mean, this game at halftime was 9-7. to seven. Right. This was not exactly a big highlight game by any means. But when he's running the ball for two touchdowns, that's going to carry you. But at the same token, he shouldn't be the one that's solely running that offense. He needs to use his playmakers more. But when he's sitting there third and three and trying to throw for 40 yards downfield, 40, 40, he is still learning the game and it's costing them at this point. So what is he playing Madden on rookie here? He's trying to. And it's, this is frustrating as a Bills fan because he has a lot of talent. He is slowly putting it together, but notice the word I said, slowly. He has the team behind him playing lights-out defense, but then again, we're coming into the situation where we're focusing in either we stop the run and we give up these screen passes on the sideline or vice versa. No, yeah, and I've only, I haven't been able to watch as many Bills games as you have, Ken, but I've been, the two I've been able to catch, I've noticed one glaring thing. That's whenever the play breaks down or the pocket breaks down and he's got to scramble and, and kind of move around a little bit, there comes a point where you go, okay, nobody's open, throw it away, throw uh-huh. it away, throw it away. And all of a sudden he starts trying to be like Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and just scrambling around until some guy gets open. And in the meanwhile, you're just hurting your team even more. Like you see Tom Brady do it all the time. You see Drew Brees do it all the time. You see all the great quarterbacks do it where, hey, I ain't got nothing, throw it away. Well, that's the thing. He likes to rely too much on his arm, and I get that when you have an arm that you can throw 90 yards downfield in your sleep. But I also throw a lot of this on the play calling of Brian Dabble, the offensive coordinator. Okay. And I think that he abandons the run too quickly. When you have Frank Gore and Singletary, who are actually a very solid one-two punch, and we get away from it and we're trying to do these long bombs when it's third down and three. It doesn't make any sense. The offense looks very inconsistent, and it's relating to Allen and how he's developing. And I'm sitting there just going, watching this game. Okay, we missed a lot of opportunities. We should have beat Cleveland outright. And say what you will about that whole Baker Mayfield fumble slash lateral at the end that got picked off and ran in for a touchdown that got overruled. It should never have came down to that situation. And albeit, though, when the Bills missed a kick late, too, that didn't help matters either. No. But the fact that they let Cleveland punch him right in the mouth and let Baker get a little momentum going, which, you know, they have a lot of talent in Cleveland. There's no question about it. They just haven't been able to mentally put it together. Baker's dropping 238 and two touchdowns. Nick Chubb is having an amazing year thus far, which we know we don't really talk about as one of the top runners in the league, but we should. Yeah. Run for a buck 16. And the wide receiver core, I mean, when I say you have Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., and Kareem Hunt, you should be lighting up the the yards left and right. You're not doing that. So to lose a game like this is a bad look for the Bills, who are still in playoff contention, but the rest of the AFC is catching up to them. Yeah, right? I mean, you definitely had to run the ball more because I'm just looking at the stats here. Collectively, the Buffalo Bills rushed for uh, 20 times. That's as many carries as Nick Chubb had for the entire game. Exactly. Well, it's so funny because the week before, they put Singletary in positions – uh, in spots just where he was able to be successful. Yeah. And they were able to get dink and, you know, dumps and, and screens and runs. And, I mean, they used him probably 20 to 25 plays. And, you know, then Frank Gore only got five looks. And now in this game, you know, the carries were a little more split. So it's like, albeit that they only gave them 20, you know, it's just so funny how one week you go from featuring Singletary to all of a sudden then even workload, and you don't use them at all. And in the meanwhile, you're slinging the ball or attempting to 41 times. And that's the problem, I think, with Dabble making the play calls. Yeah. But, but that's why I say he abandons 
plays, whether it's running or passing, too early. Well, I understand if you're down two scores and it's late in yeah, the second absolutely. half. You know, I get that. You, you know, the run is more used as a change of pace and a momentum getter so you can get into the no huddle versus when you're, you know, only down by what, maybe six at most at one point, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's poor game management. And I agree. And I think that that's going to cost the bills moving forward. I hate saying this. I mean, I love what Allen has been to the team and he's a leader on that team. He's growing in his role. Don't get me wrong. I'm not abandoning my broken table just yet by any stretch <laughs> well, of the imagination. Well but what I'm saying is with Allen, he's got to find more consistency in his play. I don't want him to become JP Lossman 2.0. Oh, yeah. Yeah, trust oh. me. I've sat through some bad quarterbacks. We can get into this I if just, we want. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's so much Josh Allen is it's just what he's been given and what they're I mean, you know, Brown's been inconsistent as a wide receiver and unfortunately the intermediate routes really aren't his suit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really all you can do with him is run him deep. You know, I know that they got the guy from the Canadian Football League who had played well a few weeks. Yeah. But I mean, he's been no showing. And, I mean, other than that, so it's like it's another position where, you know, you look at Mitch Trevinsky's situation and you almost can, you know, substitute the same name for Josh Allen because you, you just don't have a number one wide receiver right now. They don't, but in the same token, Allen's one knock, and I've said this way before when you can go back to the draft episode, his accuracy is an issue. Well, when you got a guy who slings, it's right. always going to be. I mean, yeah. even Mahomes that first year, albeit he had no look passes here or there, the the knock on him was yeah he's got an arm for days but it's inconsistent and deep you know especially in the intermediate routes well yeah. no they definitely need a receiver because I mean yeah they signed Cole Beasley in the offseason, which everyone's like oh this is gonna be great it's gonna be their Julian Edelman this is gonna work out great for him he's only caught thirty nine passes in four hundred and eleven yards yeah because the play calling doesn't allow him to right yeah to that's play calling yeah. with that I I'm just saying like if they had a guy who was a uh, solid you know, like um, oh, if we had, had an AJ Green that is healthy, we'd know, be looking okay. Yeah, AJ Green. I'm also thinking more of like uh, uh, Michael Crabtree or even a uh, Larry Fitzgerald type wide receiver who's good at the intermediate routes to get space and get open because that's what those guys were great at was running those intermediate routes. Because let's face it, when you have a quarterback who's not very good at those passes with accuracy you have to have a wide receiver who can create space and that's what both those guys did and did great and Larry Fitzgerald still doing is getting open by using his body in positions that he gives space for his wide rec- his quarterbacks to make those throws and Crabtree did the same thing for a long time so it's like one of those guys with that bigger build would be perfect with Josh Allen and then Josh Brown on the outside running those deep routes would have more chance to get open the Bills probably have one piece of the puzzle that's missing but at least they're making strides in the right direction. Oh, albeit sure. That, albeit, though, this was a, a definite hiccup, and this was a game they should have won, but they didn't. <coughs> so now they have to bounce back next week against Miami, at Miami, who are now on the win streak, mm-hmm. which Ugh. is frightening. Ruining their two chances. Yeah, absolutely. And then for Cleveland, they got Pittsburgh coming up. That's going to be a close game no matter what because that's a good old rivalry game. And don't doubt Cleveland. I'm not saying I'm going to take them as a leap, but don't doubt Cleveland – Shutting down Lamar Jackson to reasonable stat levels. Not that he's playing Madden in real life. <laughs> so that being said, let's go to my leap because we don't even need to talk about my lock because we already did. It was the Saints. But my leap, and dare I say the best game of the weekend? Yeah, easily. Seattle coming through clutch, knocking off those undefeated 49ers in overtime. Hell of a back and forth on Monday night. but It's like a slugfest. 
and you know Russell Wilson is making a, a tough case for MVP. Yeah, I'm sorry, he, he's he's making it. He's happen. in that conversation. He's in that conversation. They're eight and two now, and obviously it was a huge win, knocking off the undefeated 49ers division game. All the marbles you know, were on the line, and they came through yeah. very, very clutch. 27-24 in overtime pad. You got those stats? Yep. Uh, Russell Wilson, 24 of 34 for 232 yards passing. One touchdown, one interception. Jimmy Garoppolo, 24 of 46 for 248 yards passing. One touchdown, one interception. Coach, your thoughts? I mean, first off, let me just give credit to uh, the special teams coach of the 49ers because they did something that boggled my mind. Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. arguably the fastest player in the NFL. They lined him up in their punt formation. Marquise Goodwin? Marquise Goodwin, thank you. Lined him up in the punt formation mm-hmm. to the left of the punter in a slot where nobody could, you know, where he was a gunner basically, but nobody could to could touch him to bump him and throw him off or try and, you know, interfere with his path. Punter catches the ball, kicks the ball. Off goes Goodwin in a dead straight sprint. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. He got there. And I mean, unfortunately, the gunner ended up uh, creating uh, catch interference, so the they couldn't wave the fair catch, which he didn't do anyway, which was mind-boggling because Goodwin was there as he was looking up to catch the ball in a dead sprint. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely brilliant because... You, you want to talk about shooting a missile out of a cannon? Oh, literally. Like, yeah. he had... I mean, he caught the ball and took off at the same time and ran from the same spot that the punter kicked the ball from and still got there by the time the ball was in air. I think we found a position Usain Bolt can play if he wants to do the NFL. For real. <laughs> I mean, my God. But no, I mean, all hats... I mean, Pete Carroll is somebody that you put his back up against the wall against the team where you know he can't figure anything out because they were looking shaky offensively to begin with. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, they were on tilt. Russell Wilson couldn't get anything going. Down 10-7 at halftime. Yeah, and then that seven points came from a defensive uh, yeah. fumble recovery for a touchdown. Um, I mean, this was a team that was on tilt. For, the 49ers have played so well all year, too. That defense is very, very intimidating and scary. Bosa is... Or Watt is playing as a man possessed. Yeah, it is nuts what he's doing. I mean, they were talking about him being not only rookie of the year but defensive player of the year. He's definitely got rookie of the year locked up, right? For sure. Opinion. But I mean, they were even saying they would go statistically right now. You could make a case for him winning defensive player of the year, which is insane for a rookie to do. So you know, and then you talk about all the things that Sherman's doing in the secondary and being a leader of that defense with playing up the you know they hate us storyline, which you know the NFL feeds off of. So, you know, and then all the all the credit in the world to Pete Carroll because then they come out at halftime, they make some adjustments, and they're able to get the ball moving. You know, they were able to get Josh Gordon involved in the offense a little bit, um, and they were able to get down and get some scores and then obviously go into overtime and <laughs> a wild overtime at best. Absolutely wild. I mean, again, this just goes to me that this just shows that the NFL – it's an exciting overtime because of what is the potential of can hap- what can happen. But at the end of the day, that college overtime is the only thing that makes sense to me. Because could you imagine a game like this as back as forth as it was, and with the way that the 49ers have been playing, and they tie? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of hoping for that. <sighs> it's a it's a tough argument to make because I understand why they don't, but I also wish they did. Right. Do the college one. And like I say, I get both sides of the argument, but I think in this situation, I'm I'm glad it didn't come down to it. You want some finality. You know, like, could you just imagine that this great of a game, and then you go and you talk to your buddies on Tuesday at work, and you're like, yeah, and it ended in a tie. 
Well, especially the motto you hear in most sports is you play to win the game. You right. Know, you don't play to – A low coach term. Yeah, you don't play to say, hey, we tied, yay. And especially in a division rivalry game, which this is going to have huge impacts for possible playoffs and scenarios. If San Francisco loses one more game, let's say, and they both finish the season with two losses, hypothetically. I mean, what was it? Pittsburgh last year had that one tie that ended up screwing them out of the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely happen. And I know that, obviously, Seattle and the Niners are going to be playing later in the season, I believe, Pat. I do believe so. I'll double check. That being said, this was a good win for Seattle and something to definitely hang their head on. Carroll's culture that he has built in Seattle is definitely, no matter what the score is, we, we come to play. Week 17? Yeah. Against San Francisco. Yeah, that could get flexed. Ooh. That could get That's flexed. That's a 425 out. game. Still. Uh, no, I'm just saying it could. Yeah, that could definitely get flexed. If that's still the time period in week 17. Either way, it's going to be a huge, huge game. And for Seattle, great win for San Francisco. Albeit, though, missing some weapons. Emmanuel Sanders not in the lineup. Yeah, he goes great. down weird. With I mean, he was running a like a 12-yard a in. Yeah. And all of a sudden came up limp after the turn on the run because he didn't run like the traditional stop and plant in. It was more of that like belly one yeah and all of a sudden you know, ironically comes up holding his rib cage in his stomach and then all of a sudden they show him going back to the locker room and i was like oh that's gonna be a problem because i mean if he's down for any stretch i mean they got him for the purpose of they needed somebody for garoppolo to work with as far as getting open right and he was doing that should know for week 17 there's no they can't flex that's it right, into sunday to... night there yeah. is no uh sunday night game that's what i thought after i said it so yeah. Why we check on the fly. We we put these errors. No, in we there. do it live. Exactly, we do it live. No edits. But this is where San Francisco definitely had some holes in their game with Sanders being out of the lineup. Yep. Yeah, and, and then, couldn't get the run game yeah, going. And George Kettle not in the lineup. Oh, that to begin killed him. That killed him. But to hang with the Seattle, that's something that they got to say. This is a good loss if there is such a thing. That they definitely hung with the <clears throat> arguably the other best team in the NFC. And you can make an argument, too, with a couple other teams. Yep. But for Seattle, for them to hang with them and almost pull that game out, it definitely shows where they've turned the page in San Francisco. And they definitely are making the strides in the right direction. Had they continued to win, obviously they've been a great win. They're still undefeated. But then the pressure starts mounting when you're undefeated. Patriots fans know this all too well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I really like the fact that there's this resurgence in San Francisco and what they're doing, you know, as far as uh, offense, because th- they're fun to watch, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, especially when they are clicking, and, and that defense is really fun to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I take away from this game that Seattle comes to play, and San Francisco is legitimate. Now, had maybe Seattle won big, then you know the questions would have been, well, you know, who would San Francisco play? You know, they're undefeated because of that, you know. But no, they came out with. Major injuries to their offense, missing mm. their biggest offensive weapon in Kittle, their second biggest uh, weapon in Sanders, and they still were able to hang in this game and go to overtime. Yeah, you know now did Jimmy G play flawlessly? No, no. But has he been in a position where it's been a game like this where everything was held on his shoulders because the run game was not where it was non-existent? He made a lot of happen, which sure. I, which I give him a lot of credit for because arguably that's been the knock on him. He manages games. This one, he was trying to pull it off, and he almost did. I mean, I bet you had Kittle been in this game and Sanders played the entire way. Different story. Different story. Yeah, I I have to agree with you on that. I just think they would have won in overtime versus losing. It definitely would have gone back and forth. So either way, the best game of the weekend, Seattle's got something to hang their head on. Frisco shouldn't hang their head too low. 
by any means. No. Going in with one loss is not a bad deal. And obviously they're facing Arizona next week, so that could be a fun one. And division games, you know, like I say, it's going to be a really interesting time for football. I mean, they just came off of that game. And speaking of Arizona, I would like to thank Christian Kirk for single-handedly beating Ken uh, this week in fantasy football I while we're thinking, guys. I know, Christian Kirk, you were concerned about my fantasy team, and you wanted to perform for me, and I appreciate that because I was nervous all day with the lineup that I had. But I digress. I Go ahead. What? What? Give me that point spread. <laughs> I'm taking Frisco. No I what? I honestly, I mean, they just played each other last week, so I I really like this defense going up against Kyler Murray. It's a ton of fun, well, you know. Mur- and I love when a good defense plays a quarterback that's playing well. So and Murray has Murray yeah. Murray has definitely shown signs of improvement. So a lot of fun football left to be had. Not if you're me, but sure, you guys go ahead, enjoy your season, blah, 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 playoffs, so oh, fun, 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 you know, and I'll look forward to the chase for Young. Absolutely. Coined, trademark. <laughs> Definitely let us know what you thought of this past week's NFL action. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. You can join in the social media accounts on OchoDuraParleyHour.com. What was your takeaway from Week 10 in the NFL? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman Seatoy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH, and we got to talk a little basketball. Now we're going to talk about the good, which is the Lakers and what they're doing with LeBron. But oh, coach, you're making me just you're making me stew here, huh? No, coach, okay, I'm okay. going to let you jump in. So let's give the disclaimer: the thoughts, views, and opinions of that of Coach Duffy does not reflect the ODPH in any way, shape, or form, except me because I'm definitely with him on this about the opinion of those New York Knicks. I held back on the Giants talk this week because I wanted to dedicate my rage to the trash, the dumpster fire, the garbage that is the New York Knicks. Get your popcorn. My God. I can't believe I said that this team was going to hang around 500 because they're terrible. Terrible. And let me tell you, I am on board with Steve Mills and what he said about Fisdale. I don't blame, I mean, I sure, Mills has a little bit of responsibility in this, but my blame is on Fisdale. They brought this guy in for two reasons. One, because he was friends and with LeBron James and the Banana Boat crew. So they targeted those free agents at that time because they were like, people are going to want to come play for Fisdale. Well, guess what? Nobody wanted to play for Fisdale. In fact, everybody ran away from playing for Fisdale. So what Marc Gasol said about him is true, that he is a bad head coach. Secondly, the next thing that I want to blame is he is a defensive coach. The Knicks are terrible defensively. They are horrible defensively. They are horrendous defensively. The only silver lining in this team is that R.J. Barrett is real. And if you talk trash about R.J. Barrett last year when he was at Duke and you know who you are, you apologize for what you said about R.J. Barrett because this guy is the truth. 
Yeah! Just just some stats for you, uh, in case for those who don't know. Uh, the Knicks are currently last place in the Eastern Conference with a record of two and nine. You pad. Switch that to the uh, league by the league record overall. They are last in the uh, NBA in record. Uh, look at just looking at some stats for the team as uh, overall. They are uh, second to last in the league in points per game. They are where is this? Uh, Da, 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 da. Just had it. there it is. Sixteenth in the league in uh, rebounds per game, uh, and then when it comes to uh, average field goals made per game, they are uh, last in the league right, in Pat, field goal percentage. You don't have to kick us when we're down. All right, like we Just got, we know what's going on here. All right, dare I say they're the, bad. The Knicks are terrible, terrible, <laughs> and, and they they shouldn't be. And this is what makes me the angriest because so they go out, they get Marquis, they get Morris, they get Julius Randle, and they get Bobby Portis, and that is the worst lineup that they put out. Defensively, their statistics are the worst when those three are on the court at the same time. So why are they on the court together? I don't understand. I get why you sign Morris because he is a he is a talented basketball player, and Randle is a very, very I mean, he is great offensively. He is garbage defender and Mitchell Robinson being out has not helped anything but it's like why is Kevin Knox not getting these minutes when he's played well it doesn't make any sense and that's the argument it's insane and for all you and I'm this pains you me to people. say this you Frank Nilakina lovers oh, out stop, there stop you mm-hmm. Frank Nilakina lovers who oh my god he played one good game two weeks ago one. and you're like oh, you should be playing you're right I can't believe I'm saying this. You're right. Frank Nilakina should be playing. <laughs> now, <laughs> I just should he be playing a lot? No, because he's terrible. Listen, you can't play in the NBA and be Bruce Bowen today. No. You know what I mean? That Bruce, the Bruce Bowen type player, does not work in this NBA. Ben Wallace would not play in today's NBA. You need to be able to. Be efficient offensively. And that's Frank's problem right now. So that's why he's not getting minutes. So if you're sitting here wondering like why they're not playing him, it's because his jump shot's inconsistent. Defensively, he's tremendous. But if you can't make a bucket, you can't play in today's NBA. Period. I the Warriors t- didn't win games because they were putting five guys on who could play defense. I will say this. Frank should definitely get traded since he's oh, playing yeah, well at I this mean, point. Yeah, hey, value's high. You e- know? Exactly. Strike hot while it's hot. For the Knicks, it's awful. And the only solace I take is we're only two games behind Brooklyn. What's <laughs> up? <laughs> no, the only solace I take is the fact that there is a very, very good draft coming up right now. And from uh, the little ball brother, from LaMelo Ball to Cole Anthony, who I hope so badly the Knicks get. I want Anthony. So I don't want, much. I don't, want, I don't, I don't want the, Le- the LeVar Ball train in I New York. I don't want the LeVar Ball train either in New York. But you know what, though? LaMelo albeit he's not a very good defensive player either, that 6'5 frame with that, I think, 6'7", 6'8", wingspan that he got now since he you know, hit that growth spurt is very, very attractive to me. I think the only people in the in you know New York and the Knicks fans that want a ball in you know one of the ball brothers in New York is the media because all of a sudden oh, the, back, sure. the back pages are a lot easier to write. Yeah, and I mean I get that that Lavar would bring a lot of baggage, but I mean I think Lamelo is the, I think he's a real deal. I think he's a, a not a generational talent, but he's very good. But like I said, I want Cole Anthony here desperately more than I wanted Zion. We whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I said it. No, for real. The only thing I would say to this, and this is somebody who I would like to see the Knicks do well. I'm not bashing on the Knicks. I'm not hating on the Knicks. 
temper this because I had to sit here and, and you guys were all, oh, we're going to get Zion, we're going to get to work, we're going to get that, and you got stuck with nothing. All right, Pad. Wow, Pad. Fuck you. <laughs> I, listen, I'm just saying it, wow. it's the thing. Like, you know, for how long? In, in yeah, I know. can go back through the tapes and go, oh, we're going to get Zion. We're going to get KD. We're going to get Kyrie. He got left out in the cold. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, thanks. Because, because it should have happened. And it's not our fault that KD and Kyrie were too scared, scared. to come. They are too scared to come to the Mecca and play. No, I, like, I, <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about this team's inconsistency. I, I grant it. I don't know all that much about basketball other than the basics, you know. But I'm sitting here looking at their their schedule, and they're you know okay. They had the one win against Dallas, you know. Hell six, yeah, six one zero two. But their other their other win about was to have a third win. Their, too. their other game win was against Chicago, where they won one hundred five to ninety eight. Okay, good. Hey, you beat Chicago. You just lost to them the other night by eighteen. Yeah, well, let's dump on them while they're bad. All right, you know, let's take that win, huh? Let's not talk about the negative. Don't jump on the bandwagon when we're two and nine. Yeah, baby, when we start rolling these wins off. No, but seriously, I, I the only thing that I have going this year is that RJ Barrett's going to win Rookie of the Year because Zion's not going to. You know, I, he's getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah, he's going to get lost in the shuffle in New Orleans because they're playing well, and I think they're going to have a difficult time assimilating him into this lineup that's playing so well. So it's like R.J. Barrett, you know, is going to be the featured player in New York because that's what they've done all year, and he's putting up stats and he's playing well. So it's like I think he's averaging nineteen five and like three sixteen five point eight and okay. four point one. All right, so close. that's still pretty good. Yeah, I mean it was nineteen at one point. So all right, dips in points, but you know he'll bounce back. So. That, I think, is helping me stay positive in the fact that... And then next year, you know, when you get him a point guard to run next to in Cole Anthony, fingers crossed, that, you know, now you'll have Cole Anthony, you'll have R.J. Barrett, you'll have Kevin Knox, you'll have Randall, and you'll have Mitchell Robinson, and now you're cooking with some gas. Trier off the bench. You know, hopefully Morris will be accepting a bench roll because I think Kevin Knox should be the one that starts. And, you know... Now you now you have a team that is on the rise like Philadelphia was five years ago. They definitely have the pieces for a future run, but right now we live in the present. <sighs> Don't so, remind me. And the present is not looking good. And I is obviously with Dolan talking about firing everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I, we were talking about. I, yeah, Fisdale's got to go. I hate saying this, but I agree with Dolan. Ugh. Ah, bring back Jeff Say and Gundy. Uh, yeah. Pad, you were just trying to kick yeah. Off I mean, the you're really today. trying to fuck. You're trying to fire us up right now. No, I mean, you got to think about it, Ken. They they brought in Fisdale with the intentions of hey, he coached in Miami. Mm-hmm. LeBron was very high on him. He was very you know an advocate of him. Dwayne Wade, the whole crew, they really loved him. Miami, you know, then he leaves for Memphis, and all of them spoke so highly of his exit about how great of a guy he was. And then, you know, when the coaching search came on, you know, I wrote that piece that, you know, Jeff Van Gundy would be a candidate that would look good. And there was a couple other names that I thought looked good. Tom Thibodeau I thought maybe might fit well here too. And, you know, now you're looking at this and you're sitting here and saying, yeah. and then when he left Memphis, Marcus Gasol came out and was like, thank God he's gone. And everybody was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened here? Like, and you he, all raved about him. And now all of a sudden you're like, you're sending your well wishes and you're glad that he's gone? Like, What's the underlying circumstances here? And then more came out about, you know, how he would coach a team and, you know, and all this stuff. And then the free agency comes and goes. Nobody comes to New York. Then this free agency happens when, you know, it was supposed to be Durant and Kyrie and you thought the relationships were going to be there. Then they opt to go to the Nets and play for Atkinson, who the Knicks also had a chance to get at one point and passed on. Mm -hmm. And now you're sitting here and you're talking about, all right, sure, Mills 
And the front office in New York absolutely has to be held responsible. And I'm glad Dolan didn't just come out and say that, you know, nobody's being having their feet to the fire, that the front office is there too. Because they do. They deserve it. Mm-hmm. My problem is when you're sitting here and you're talking about getting uh, the Toronto general manager and um, oh, I can't I, There's I don't want so many names. Yeah, I don't want to mispronounce his name again. But the guy, you know, he's in Detroit right now or Toronto. He's their uh, general manager, Usaya. Um, I just you've done this before. This is the same thing that we go down every year when free agency comes. He didn't want to come to New York before. He's not going to come to New York now. He even said that he wasn't going to come to New York. So let's not chase that. Let's not chase that. Let's go out and let's get an analytical guy who can look at the statistics and break things down that way. And let's get a head coach in here that knows how to work with young talent, that wants to work with young talent, like a like Bowen in uh, Philly or mm-hmm. Brown in Philly. And let's get somebody like that. Let's get somebody maybe off of Greg Popovich's coaching tree. And let's build that, or even Steve Kerr's coaching tree, and not Luke Walton. I'm saying like maybe somebody who has a little bit of experience but knows how to build with young players. They got to find something, but I think the pressure of how awful this offseason was and losing out to Brooklyn is starting to get under their skin a little bit. Yeah. It didn't occur to me until Coach brought up something semi-related. You know, we, we know that the front office in New York probably had something to do with free agents not coming to New York, given right. how tumultuous it is. Yeah. Do you think Fisdale might have played a part in that, given that, like you said, left Miami and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James are singing his praises. They're, they're you know giving him the rocket boost to the moon. And then he goes to Memphis and comes out of Memphis, and all of a sudden those daisies and, sun, and sunflowers have now wilted and died. The, you know you got Mark Gasol <laughs> trash-talking him. Do you think that there be there might have been a stigma around him that other players are like, eh, you know what, I don't want to be around that guy. Possible. I think for sure. Yeah, you can't you can't sit there and look at the fact that nobody came as a as you know this thing where you you, you know and even Przingis you know met with him and didn't really come anything out of it and re- still requested a trade. So I mean, if a guy like that can't go and salvage that relationship, then obviously I think there is something you know more to that. Because is the is the way I'm looking at it is okay. You might have a front office that sucks, but if you got a head coach you like and you enjoy and you can get along with, he makes it bearable. But if you got a front office that sucks, a general manager that sucks, a team owner that sucks, and a head coach you can't stand, it's almost like why am I getting out of bed and coming to work? Yeah, it's a tough argument to make, but I definitely see that point. And obviously there is a little smoke to that fire. So for New York, you really have to sit back and go, okay, where is the biggest problem? Because there are many problems. I mean, it's it's not just I. Yeah. I want to reiterate. I don't think it's just Fizdale. I obviously think it's him, that Mills, Mills and Perry have responsibility in this too. But at the end of the day, when they hired you, and the intent was you're going to attract free agencies, free agents here, and you don't. That is on Fizdale. And then at the end of the day, you have pieces in front of you. And you're not coaching them into positions where they're being successful. And that falls on you. And I think by Christmas Day at the absolute latest, well, before Christmas, because nobody's going to get fired on Christmas, Fizdale's gone. If he's not gone by the end of the week. <sighs> My, the only thing with that is I don't think there's anybody there that would be, that would t- like want the interim job. Because they don't have like a, you know, the problem is like if you fired, you know, Tyron Ty- Lu. You've got people in position. Like if Doc Rivers got fired in in uh, LA. Uh, lost L.A., they've got Tyron Lue right there. If they fire, uh, you know, 
Popovich, he's got assistants who have been there for years. Like I'm just saying, like they don't. The Knicks have no coaching staff. They might not. Experience. But, but at this stage, if if it's still, let's say we get into double digit losses and we still only have two wins, and it's the end of November. Yeah. If, no. So if, it, if it's at the if it's at the end of December and they're at double digit losses without double digit wins. Yeah, he's gone. He's yeah. I they they, that, have, they will just yeah, they'll bite the bullet. And you know what just that I can't disagree just with. Just take the team loss and then for Fisdale, he might wind up in LA with LeBron. <laughs> because the Lakers have now ascended to the top of the Western Conference. So like so, so eighties basketball fans are looking at all is right in the world. Well yeah. this is absolutely a little I don't want to say mind blowing, but if you think about how toxic if you want to talk about toxic cultures, last year with the Lakers Oof. and how they've now turned it around to a 180, albeit Anthony Davis does help. Anthony Davis helps in not having the entire you know roster on the trade block, including the janitor. Right, and obviously you have the whole Magic Johnson drama gone. Well, yeah. And I think the other thing is, too, is that last year with Walton, you know, whatever they were thinking with Magic Johnson and what Luke Walton, what they were trying to do with – Putting other guys who can run the ball around LeBron so they can try and, you know, pace or, you know, space and play, you know, and try and push the pace by having a bunch of ball handlers on with LeBron. I think that ultimately was, you know, a, a problem because historically LeBron's played well with shooters around him. Mm-hmm. And now that this year, this is what you have. You've got Kuzma, you know, Davis can stretch the floor a little bit. You know, you've got, you know, uh, KCP out there who can stretch the floor, you know, so you've got players that are around him uh, that can shoot the ball. And I think ultimately that is what's helping this team because LeBron can run and distribute and still score and be efficient. And that's what they need to do. And well, obviously it's it's success right there, especially yeah. the Clippers being the resurgent team. And we thought, okay, everybody's going to run right away with them. Well, let's simmer down now because Paul George is coming back. Well, that's this is going to be a whole different story. Yeah. For, but for right now to see where LeBron is and where he's putting up stat-wise, it's really remarkable to see the turnaround, especially at his age with all the tread on his tires. And let's be honest, sure. it's been there. But to see how the day and night differences now happened, this is a truly remarkable feat, in my opinion. It, it's remarkable, but at the same time, maybe like you know, pump the brakes a little bit. We're three weeks into the season. You know, the legs are still fresh. You know, the, the, there's there's still kind of there's a pop in their step. Let's look at it and kind of go back at it when you're kind of deep in the season. You're going on those back to backs, and you're going on this you know those long stretches where you might have a bunch of road games. The what I will say, well, they will when the Emmys come through. They'll oh, be yeah. on that long stretch. I, for me. I still hold the Clippers as the team to beat in the West. Mm-hmm. When Paul George comes back, and mind you, when they played the Lakers and the Clippers, that was just Kawhi Leonard, and he absolutely locked down the Lakers. Yep. So with Paul George coming back, this I believe it's t- he's going to play tonight or this weekend is going to be his first game. I believe this is the weekend. Yeah. They are going to be still scary good. Now, the Lakers are going to give them fits. I mean, listen, Anthony Davis and LeBron in any lineup is going to give anybody problems. But when you talk about the fact that the Clippers defensively are as stout as they are, because that is the end that Kawhi cares about. Kawhi doesn't care if he gets 40 on the other end. Mm-hmm. He cares about you not getting 40. Right. And when Paul George comes into that and you know they start feeding off of each other, it's not going to be a, hey, you know, how many did you finish with? Oh, I was 28-5. It's going to be, how many did your guy score? Oh, really? Because my guy got 13. It, That's what they're going to care about. Oh, it's a completely different culture. Oh, exactly. I, I get that. But for the Lakers, like I say, 
this is where to see where they've gone to where they are now. Yeah. That's yeah. that's that's the, the telling point of this week. <laughs> I mean, obviously, when the Clippers come back and they're at 100%. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, right, and the, we were talking Lakers. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's great to see LeBron being able to be resurgent. You know, everybody had put, you know, the Wash King or whatever the hell they were calling him, you know, a yeah. tag on him, which, you know, was probably – Listen, it, like Pat said, still early. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Le- LeBron had said that you know when they everybody's killing Kawhi for this load management stuff, and I mean, really, it is what it is. That's today's NBA. You know, the days of guys playing eighty-two games with a broken leg; those days are gone. So just deal with it. You know, accept the fact that load management is in your world now. Um, I don't think, and LeBron came out and said that if he's healthy, he'll play eighty-two games. I call BS on that. I do too. I, I, yeah. I, I think that if there's a game, especially late in the stretch where, you know, they're sitting probably as long as they're fourth seed or above and it's that position's locked so they have home court in the first round, I don't see LeBron playing in much of the second half of the year. No, he definitely doesn't. And and, and Anthony Davis for that matter too, I yeah. don't see. Well, they'll have to kind of dance around with that. But for LeBron with the all the, like I said, all the tread he has on his tires, right. to still be putting up points and still – be the focal point of the resurging Lakers. Well, him playing point guard, yeah, is is huge. Yeah, I honestly think that that will save and help save his career. Now, he's not going to get you know in the paint as much, so he's not going to have to body guys as much. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to get that kind of tread. I mean, defensively, he's not necessarily lining up against the point guards, but him being able to be on the up on top of the key, distribute, find guys who are open, is probably where he should have been maybe the last five years. Absolutely, I, and he played with Kyrie, so that was difficult to do. But you know, with this Laker team, I think him being the primary ball handler is going to be what leads them, you know, at least to the Western Conference Finals. It's definitely a good argument to be made. But for early in the season, you have to be very impressed with what they're doing because I didn't see them coming out the gate as hot as they were. I figured, obviously, the Clippers are going to be running away with things, but you'd have Denver up there, you'd have Houston up there, a little yeah, more so he, than the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, Houston's been weird. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. Houston is just the battle of two alpha males. Yeah. And it depends which uh, yeah. one wins that night is going to dictate how they win the game. You know, it's funny that, you know, when you talk about the fact that you got, like, that culture there and then you got, you know, the culture in Houston where, you know, it's offensive stats are primary, you know, what they care about. It's just funny to see because I, I really like the pairing of these two more – maybe more when they were in OKC than they are now just because Mm -hmm. James Harden wasn't as ball-dominant as he is now, which I don't want to say is a bad thing. I'm just saying from a chemistry standpoint, you know, him being able to catch and shoot in OKC was way more of a weapon with Russell Westbrook being able to be the explosive one to get to the rim, and his jump shot's more consistent. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, Houston's a weird team. I just, you know, circle it back to the the Lakers. I – I, that trade obviously depleted the bench and everything, but they were able to make smaller moves that have really panned out that I didn't see were going to pan out as well as they had. So they've been able to have a deeper bench and, and, and use those guys. And Kuzma, I think, is the big player that's been able to really uh, kind of spread his wings a little bit because with Brandon Ingram, with LeBron, you know, it, it was and him coming off the bench. It was kind of difficult, you know, for him to find his pace on the floor because guys just aren't 
comfortable coming off the bench, you know, necessarily. Um, you know, and then Morris and the Knicks, like you talk about that, you know, when he was in Boston, he had a resurgence in his career coming off the bench because he just went out there and scored. Mm. But, you know, for a young player like Kuzma who had been a starter, then to get shipped to the bench, you know, it kind of screws up your game a little bit. So now that he's back in the starting lineup and he's, and he's able to get open with Anthony Davis and, and all them, it's, you know, it's definitely a team that has uh, the ability to score and everything. It's just at the end of the day, I just don't see them being able to last as long as the Clippers will. It's definitely a debatable question, so let's throw it up on the hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on the Lakers this season? Or better yet, engage with Coach Duffy about those New York Knicks. I mean, talk to either one of us about the Knicks. We'll yeah. go. Oh, we'll, we'll go all day. I, all day, all night about this. I just, it's it's frustrating as hell. It really is. To be a passionate fan and sit there every night and see the product be subpar and is just no signs of relief, I'm just it, it's frustrating. But the only solace I have is we're still two games behind Brooklyn. Like, I'm thankful. You know, part of me gets upset when I, I don't have MSG right now, so I can't watch the games because I love watching Knicks basketball. But I'm almost happy that I can't because I would be so frustrated by the performance. That's why I have Disney Plus and that's what's getting me through right now. Yeah, for real. Cuz I, I just I just can't get excited except I just want to see somebody dunk on Porzingis. Thursday well, that night. game will be on national TV, so I'm excited to watch TNT? that. Yeah. TNT. I can't wait. Oh my god. If you know, I mean Frank almost got that one. Yeah, Frank almost got him. Frank almost got him. So if RJ actually gets him in the garden, <sighs> If that happens, we apologize in advance for what's going to happen on social media because Eruption. Coach and I, I will are going to be a mess. come in the studio. I will flip this table. I will lose my mind. There might be like a five-minute random podcast that just gets thrown up there mm. of just Coach ranting of what just happened to Przingis, oh which God. we'll be excited about. But definitely hit us up. Let us know. Hashtag ODPH. Join in that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Matt Jane. This is Julian Hepworth. I'm Ross Marchuka. And John McBride, and we're shot at the robots. You're listening to DPH. Coming back for a third segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Time to run the ropes, give a little wrestling recap. Wrestling! Oh, sing it, coach. I had me. Look at my. CM Punk has returned to WWE programming. So we were actually going to plan on skipping this and not talk a little wrestling, but last night as we were uh, getting ready to record... The game changed. The internet collectively broke. Yes, right after Fox Sports 1's WWE backstage uh, show, whatever you want to call it. The show that's really good, but on at a really bad time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, It's a unique concept. It's kind of like a... UFC tonight, but almost like a breakdown baseball tonight. Yeah, it's kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit, and they decide to end it with a big bombshell news that CM Punk has returned to the WWE. Uh, Okay, or Fox? Well, no, so no. Well, no, we do. The contract is with Fox. Okay, Fox wanted to hire him, right? But the story is, is that, or the, the rumors say that Fox wanted to hire him, but before they went about hiring him. They went to the folks that be at WWE and asked for their blessing. They got it. They then proceeded to finalize the paperwork and get it all set. The only person they told about this was Renee Young, who that's why when she went to make the announcement on the show, she knew what was going on. And everybody else, you know, Booker T, uh, Samoa Joe, Adam Cole, Paige, were all like, what the heck's going on? So that's why that was genuine. That wasn't them just acting. <laughs> they had no clue. And to give our listeners, in case you're not familiar with the whole CM Punk 
uh, situation. I oh, guess is God, the easiest way to describe it. Travel down the rabbit hole here. How much uh-huh. time we got? Well, we'll give the speed version. CM Punk is a very well-established pro wrestler, and he left on very controversial terms with the WWE. And he has been gone very from the Very bad limelight. terms. Very so. bad terms that we thought hell would have to freeze over for him to come back. Did a yeah, podcast, absolutely. lawsuit, two lawsuits, yes. and didn't, didn't today. Just, didn't just burn bridges, like drop napalm on him. That's fair. Yes, he has been very outspoken for his uh, displeasure for the WWE. I, I think, I think, it, it I think putting it mildly, I think at one point he said that, you know, he wouldn't ever consider going back to WWE until Vince McMahon was gone, and even then he wouldn't because his son-in-law would be in charge. And then I also heard that he wouldn't come back unless the bag was big enough. Right. So obviously his stint away from the pro wrestling limelight has been mixed, to say the least. Uh, High-profile UFC fights, albeit the fights were not exactly going in his favor. Because I mean, his missed martial arts career was nothing to shake up, but he's had some successes in other ventures. I know he did some uh, run with Marvel Comics, and he's in some like horror movie or something. Yeah, right. he's got he, good he's, reviews. He, like I said, it's been mixed. Yeah. I mean, his, his athletic career, not so much, but he's definitely dabbled in the comic world with Marvel Comics. I think he wrote the Drax series. Yep, yep. And obviously he's kind of tiptoed in the film area, too, doing a couple films. So he's stayed active, and obviously the question that if you go to any pro wrestling arena is would he come back you could always hear the chance of CM Punk mm-hmm. reigning loudly on WWE programming amongst other promotions yeah. then so, AEW came out the rumors of Punk coming back to them yes. you know so I mean there's been a lot of talk there's been a lot of talk so obviously when Punk is getting mentioned it's going to give a reaction one way or another there's a lot of fans of his out there me included coach as well pad and there's a lot of fans that just frankly don't care for his shtick well i mean to be fair i've had a change of 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 feelings towards punk because when he at first left i was pro punk then as things kind of came out and more stories came out i was a little anti-punk because I was a little disappointed, and a lot of people made a lot of good points about you know taking his ball home and ultimately leaving, and you know the boys and all that stuff, and, and I was kind of like that makes a lot of sense. But then Punk, you know, reiterated that it's his life and he's going to do what he wants, and I was like, okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, Mister Punk. So then I was back on pro Punk, and then you know the whole thing happened with a friend of his that's no longer friend, and then I was like, wow, that's kind of dirty. But then more story came out about that, and I was like pro-punk again. So I'm glad to see him back. I'm pro-punk again. Like I say, you can hear the polarizing reaction. Yeah. I mean, I got into pro wrestling right as CM Punk left, so I never really got the chance to kind of fully you know, get into the summer of punk or you know what have you. But having you know gone and back through and looked at some of his promos and stuff, it's a, he, he was a very captivating person for his time. I mean, just go back and look at his pipe bomb promo he dropped in the, you know, in the middle of the entryway there and just sat down and, and just told it like it is. You know, he was a guy who was never afraid to tell it like it is, wasn't afraid to say what was on his mind because he's like, what's the worst you're going to do? Fire me? All right, I'll go work someplace else. Punk is definitely one of those people that really is DIY when it comes down to it. I mean... And does not care what you think and, frankly, will not have his opinions weighed one way or another. You can almost compare his uh, abrupt leaving of the company, you know, of like a Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. When he left basketball because he left, you know, arguably right in the prime of his career... You know, obviously he wasn't in the hottest storyline, but as far as a fan standpoint, he was always popular, regardless of whatever he was doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, his abrupt leaving, you know, really, you know, hurt us as a fan base because we, I think the general population, whether you loved or hate him, had a strong feeling towards that. Either you loved hating him or you loved loving him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, him leaving and that void that was left for us wrestling fans, I mean... 
since that point, AJ Styles had kind of filled that void. Daniel Bryan was able to fill that void a little bit, but they weren't punk. You know, so him coming back, I am nothing but excited for. Pad, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely excited for him to come back. I mean, even as of right now, it's just the behind-the-scenes role, but Lord knows what, well, what could happen. You know, Survivor Series this year is, of course, in Chicago. So It ain't going to be then. If he shows up there, we're really going to get to test the structural integrity of the Allstate Arena. You know, but, you know, as wild as this year has been in professional wrestling, where if you go back to this point last year, you time travel and you tell a professional wrestling fan everything that's going to happen this year, they'll look at you and go, you're out of your mind. You know, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that we see him in a ring in some capacity because, you know, yeah, you got the Wednesday Night Wars, the AEW and NXT, but at the end of the day, it's them versus WWE. And and what better way for Vince to kind of one-up them and stick it to them than to get CM Punk back and really give the fans what they want? Let me break it down like this. There was no way Fox was signing him without the idea that he would not come back to the ring at some point. For real. And if anybody is saying this whole, well, he's just signed to Fox, he's not going to come back, listen, open your eyes, get some drops in him if you can't really see the picture, because I'm going to break it down like this. Fox is not going to sign one of the biggest names in pro wrestling to just sit behind a desk without trying to beg, borrow, and plead with some more zeros to make a one-night appearance, if need be, with the WWE that they could air it on their network, if not go to a pay-per-view event for Vince McMahon. The fact that he is back means, yeah, the bag is very big. The fact that they sh- that Fox, WWE on Fox Facebook account, shared the CM Punk pipe bomb promo this afternoon, you know, as we record, says a lot. His promo, when he did go up to the camera, not even with a microphone on, and went up to the camera and said, just when you think they know everything, I come in and I change the culture. Mm-hmm. That line in and of itself is definitely an innuendo to because everybody from Meltzer to you name it was he'll never wrestle again. Mm-hmm. Then for him to come out and say, you smarks think you know what you're talking about. You don't know shit. I'm willing to do whatever I want to do because the ball is in my court. Mm-hmm. And if you think that he ain't wrestling, like you were saying, Ken, you are dead wrong because he will be in a ring. And I'm going to tell you when. It's going to be WrestleMania, and it's going to be against Hunter. Uh, I'm going to say, boom, he'll be in the ring at WrestleMania. I don't necessarily know if he'll be against Hunter. I I, I definitely <laughs> see your point, and I definitely oh, think the money. Oh, but I think it's going to be against somebody else, and I think that the seed was planted via a tweet. Okay, that I think it's going to be Hunter's favorite protege. Seth Rollins. Oh, Seth Sweet today about yeah. Gimme Punk. Yeah. I think that there'll be some more foreshadowing because I think Hunter being in the ring with Punk, I don't necessarily know how that would go over at this stage because you would obviously think Punk would win outright. There there would be no no way unless it was like a Montreal screw job, which if you're not familiar with, Google it and you'll figure it out. That would be the only way like that Punk would lose that. I just I, I think that that is something that you could maybe build after for SummerSlam. I just I don't think that there's any way that you don't do Punk and Triple H off the bat because oh, I, there's so much money in that match. Oh, I agree with you. No, it makes perfect sense, but I also feel that he won't be that pro to do it. I like, mean, from the in-the-ring standpoint, you got a very good point because 
it hasn't been very good for Triple H in the ring lately. Right. That's what I'm saying. Father Time is creeping on him. Yeah. And it's nothing to take away from his legacy. And I think it's funny, though, because when you talk about Father Time, like, Rick got better with age. Yeah. Michael's got better with age. Hunter, I just think Hunter. Not so much. I, but I think the problem is, though, is that they all stayed athletic. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean and Rick, they didn't put on the 30 to 40 pounds of muscle that you have to deal with, you know, with Hunter. So I think that kind of is what is holding Hunter back a yeah. little bit. But, I mean, I, we're digressing. I mean, I yeah, I just – him and Seth would be a ton of fun given the fact that Seth could go. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and Punk wouldn't have to worry about anything in the ring because, you know, although Seth has got a reputation, he's still going to be able to help make Punk look good. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's what he wants. Pat, do you see a dream opponent for CM Punk? I mean, I would love to see him against Seth Rollins. You got CrossFit Jesus against the best in the world. That that just writes money. <laughs> I mean, you can go in any number of ways with it. There's a lot of guys on the roster that you can look at and go, no, yeah, that'd be good. I mean, him versus Kevin Owens would be good. Him versus Samoa Joe would be good. I know we've, you know that's they've been connected in the past. Oh, they beat that one to death. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to see that one, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. It's yeah, sure, of- I wouldn't mind seeing it again either. I thought it was ironic that. Joe was there. Yeah, th- with this happening, I think him. I, I, somebody that was in the ring with him that night, Adam Cole. Bye bye. I think that that would be Thank a you. huge feather in the cap for Adam Cole because if you haven't seen bye how bye. much his stock has risen in recent weeks, oh for real, you well, you and especially need he focus. was especially he was on backstage last night, and he and Daniel Bryan wanted to go an hour on SmackDown last week, and God, why didn't we get that, please? Oh, don't doubt that that's not going to happen in the new year. I fully see going off tangent just a hair. I fully see the Undisputed Era leaving NXT either one by one or the group altogether, and I think you're going to see that. I mean, I don't want to see that necessarily because I think they're great on NXT for being on NXT. I don't think they – they can't. <laughs> I, I like, would hope not, but – USA can't afford to not have them there with who they're going up against because when you, when you talk about the crowd that AEW – seeks and searches for is the same crowd that likes to watch the Undisputed Era. Yeah. So if you pull them off, now all their attention is going to go AEW. The only other things that I really want to see with Punk, because I think Dream Opponent would be Seth Rollins. I think that makes a lot of sense. I honestly would not mind seeing him against Lesnar one more time. Ah. Uh, No, just... Not this version of Lesnar. Well... I would still take it just for the nostalgia point because they're both Heyman guys. They're yeah, really, they're both the they're both synonymous with Paul Heyman. Uh, just the fact that if CM Punk does any more announcing, he's going to Raw and he's not going to Fox, which is going to be a weird deal. They're going to have to work out because I can't see him leaving Paul Heyman behind. I no. another. I, I mean, what about Finn Balor? Would be tremendous. Would be Finn, Finn would be a good one, too. I mean, there's a lot of ways they can go with Punk, and I know we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but to grow up and watch him wrestle, I mean, from his ROH days, and to see where he rose through the ranks and obviously delivering one of the most classic hashtag pipe bomb promos, which really put him on the map with mainstream fans sure, and then ushered in the reality era of pro wrestling you really have to kind of step back and tip your cap for what he's done. Now, you I, might not like everything he says, but you have to give the respect to it. I just, I honestly wish that, you know, he didn't walk away when he did. Because even though it was under, you know, contentions things and there was the issues and everything, just hanging it up mid the, the prime of the career, especially with the change, the culture change that really happened yeah. in WWE when he was there. Because his, um, you know, departure probably is what helps spark WWE to say we got to go out and get, you know, a Kevin Owens. We need to go out and get, you know, um 
uh, um, well, Sami Zayn was there before he left. But we need to get a Kevin Owens. We need to get an Adam Cole. You know, we need like these were guys that they were kind of looking at, but didn't really do anything with. But then his departure ultimately left a void that they were like, we need an internet darling because at the end of the day. You know, the internet darlings are successful. You know, I mean, Daniel Bryan is a perfect example of somebody who nobody thought anything of. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden went on that run and was the, the Yes movement was possibly one of the biggest movements or changes in wrestling and just popular things that our age and culture will ever see. I agree. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's where the argument has to be made. I think, though, if he stayed, they would not have progressed. Right. So, no. I, again, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't, if he stays, I don't see NXT being what it was. No, I don't think that they would have had that growth. And I think for him to leave made a statement not only to the fans, but it made a statement to Vince, which is very tough to do to make your voice heard. Right. That we say this like with Nate Diaz in the UFC or the Diaz brothers, actually. When you have somebody that can captivate your fan base enough that you have to change your rules and your ideas around, that proves how much they matter to your company and your brand. It's a wild idea, but let's face it. From the moment he walked out those doors, those arenas have been yelling, CM Punk, CM Punk, since. And even to this day, I mean, how many years later are you still hearing this at arenas? At least five. Right. So to say that him coming back, this is a huge, huge story. Where it's going to go from here, who knows, but I guarantee you, WWE Backstage next week is going to be one of the highest-rated shows of the year on WWE programming. I And I just think that what it look like us right now, we are giddy little schoolgirls right now. Hell yeah. And there's nothing even coming of it yet. It was one five-sentence word or five-worded sentence that we're all hanging on right now. Right. I mean, that is what that did. I'll say this, this, this blew out of the water for me. The biggest thing from last week was when you had AJ Styles teasing, you know, being on the same page with Finn Balor on right. NXT. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, they're teasing it. They're teasing it. They're teasing it. This just took it and blew it out of the water. Yeah. Like, I'm not even worried about that. Like, NXT, whatever. Like, I'm waiting for next week. Yeah. I'm waiting for this show because I just want to see what's going to be said and what or what is or what isn't going to be said. Because at the end of the day, while the show is breaking fourth wall, you never like they could very easily start an angle on the show and go from there. Well, and they're not afraid to speak their mind about exactly you know, what, what they really feel about stuff going on. You know, just look at last night's show where they were talking about a certain segment that none of us are fans of. You know, and and you had Renee Young kind of going, oh well, you know, the fans wanted the Attitude Era back and they got it, but you had Booker T, Samoa Joe, and Paige all just hating on it, and going, it's awful. Yeah, and I mean, I, I and the way that Punk is. You definitely know that he's not going to be afraid to hold back on something that he no. feels. So it'll be really fun to see his take on the industry right now too, because he's done interviews, you know, written and both verbal, you know, where he's talked about where the industry is now and you know and all that stuff. So he's definitely in the product. So it'll be very interesting to see him comment on the WWE product, especially especially since he's been gone. Well, he, the emphasis is he's going to change the culture. Good, bad, and different. Him coming back is a game changer. Yeah. No pun intended. So to see where this is going to lead WWE into 2020 and a whole new decade is going to be really something special because for the fact that hell froze over and he's back, <laughs> mm-hmm. like anything is possible rest of the year. I'm I just, just throwing this out there now. I mean, honest to God, with wrestling in 2019, it's just been insane. Bananas. It's like, crazy. It's. I mean, we said this when we started doing the wrestling show and everything. Like, yeah. 
you know, w- would you ever thought that you would have seen this? And then we all just, 2019, you know, like that was our response to all these things wrestling. So it's like, you know, it's really crazy to see where the industry is now. Yeah, it's absolutely mind-blowing. So to see where it's going to go into Survivor Series on the short term is going to be something special. Pat, you got a little update on what's going on Survivor Series? Yeah, so Survivor Series, kind of the main match or the big match is, of course, the traditional Survivor Series matchup, which is uh, in the past it's been two teams of five going up against each other. When there was the brand split, it was Raw versus SmackDown, and that's still the case, but this year there's a wrench thrown into it. With NXT being on the you know the main roster now, you've got Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Uh, Raw has announced their uh, roster their, this past Monday. Uh, on the on their show uh their team is seth rollins uh ricochet drew mcintyre kevin owens and randy orton and then uh, smackdown as we record today uh announced their team being roman reigns baron corbin braun Strowman, shorty g i hate that name and mustafa ali and it is mustafa ali because he had his first name uh restored so this is just going to be a fun traditional Survivor Series match. Um, honestly, this isn't moving the needle for me. I mean, now, but they threw out the question on Facebook. Who do you think will be on the NXT uh, team? All right, if I had to make a prediction, NXT, they ruled out Johnny Gargano. He has been yep. back injury. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa. Yep. yep. Keith Lee. Yep. Okay. Matt Riddle. Yep. Okay. Uh, it's not going to be anybody from Undisputed Era. Nope. Probably going to be maybe one of the tag teams that are available. Uh, I don't see. I don't. I wouldn't throw out Adam Cole being there just because, like you said, internet darling. They've really been featuring him heavy a lot this week. He, you know, he was on the Corey Graves podcast. He was on backstage. He was on Raw. He was on SmackDown. I would. Here's the thing, though. He's done double duty before. He did the NXT Takeover the night before the Royal Rumble, and then showed up in the Royal Rumble. Right. Twice, I think. I just. I don't know. Like the way that that storyline ended last Wednesday, I find it really, really hard to be like. Yeah. You know, it's tough. I would say this. I wouldn't doubt a Leo Rush being added or whoever's cruiserweight champion at I the wouldn't, time. I wouldn't doubt Balor. That's not. Or and Finn Balor. Finn Balor's uh, down cause there. Because they're going to need something to do with him. What about Velveteen Dream? Yeah, Velveteen is actually pretty more. That's more of a the, lock than I would say the cruiserweight champion. The, yeah. the Chicago crowd, Velveteen showing up, they're going to freak I out. Just, I don't know. I mean, f- with what's going on with Finn, I mean, that would be a pretty. I, it's just. It's so hard because it's like. They have these storylines of these guys being so, like, hating each other that I. But Survivor Series, so, I know, I know, wasted away, disbelief, and all that garbage. I just, I have I mean, a Drew, tough time. Drew McIntyre took off Seth Rollins' head how many times, and he's going to be teaming with him. Right. Well, that was months ago, though. Yeah. Drew and Seth haven't seen each other now for like three months. The one that is interesting in that group is be would be uh, Baron and Roman, mm-hmm. who yeah. have been on again, off again for like the last couple months. Recent, you know. Yeah. So it's like I just I don't know. Like I just feel like if you book them, like having them be a team, kind of just like takes away their momentum that they're building. I agree. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I just I feel like if you put Finn, who has now just been this like I'm running in and I'm just bashing your favorites, you know, spiking Riddle on his head, beating up Gargano to the point that yeah. now he can't wrestle. Like all of a sudden, then and then you know they had the Adam Cole thing the week before. So all of a sudden now you have him come in and be on this team with a bunch of NXT guys. It just feels like weird to me. It is weird, but it's the it's, it's Survivor like, Series. It's Survivor, Survivor series. series, so it's like it's reasons. Yeah. So right. obviously, I I suspend this. This is just going to give some people something to do for that match because the match of the night has already been announced. In my uh-huh. opinion, yeah. Shinsuke Nakamura, Roddy Strong, AJ Styles. Yeah, it's oh, gonna be match of the year. I just my with the five man with the five man group tag team triple threat match. 
I don't like that. Too many bodies. Yeah. Like, I like... It would have just been perfect had it been like, you know, the winner of a coin flip gets a bye, and then it's NXT versus SmackDown, then the winner of that faces the winner of the bye, which yeah. would, in my example, be Raw. Like, that would have been perfect, because that's... 15 bodies. It's a lot going on. In one time with a group with tag team, you know, like they're literally going to be interacting with each other on the outside of the apron because they're all going to reach each other. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. But then that match, triple threat matches can be tough, can be a little too spotty. I like all three of those guys, Nakamura and Strong, more than AJ Styles in that match because they're stiffer. Yeah. So that will be a ton of fun. Like, I know AJ can work that style because obviously, you know, him and Shinsuke had a great run together in New Japan, Japan before the th- two garbage matches that we've gotten in WWE. No kicks and I come at me if you don't agree with this, you two, because I don't care. Those matches were not good. No, I said the nut the nut kicks of doom. Yeah. So I mean it would be fun maybe to see the fact that these two have had nothing to do with each other and now they're all coming in as champions. Maybe they won't stoop to that garbage again so it will be nonetheless it is super exciting yeah that's that's the selling point that we can all get get on board with so definitely hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odph first and foremost your thoughts on cm punk coming back are you excited (sighs) are you not and why we definitely want to know and then secondly survivor series is starting to pick up some momentum are you excited about that show or not we hadn't talked about aew full gear because we did cover that on the Hashtag 607 podcast, that wrestling show, because we haven't come up with a real name for it yet. Uh, Rich and I broke it down. You can find that on the Three Fat Nerds Network. Uh, so we kind of dip dived or deep dived rather into that. Uh, a little more about NXT, some New Japan pro wrestling stuff. It's a really great show. If you want to check out some pro wrestling, we're going to be starting that monthly between the 607 podcast group. So stay tuned for that. And like I said, you can find that on Three Fat Nerds. Real quick, though, Ken, what did you think of the MJF Cody Rhodes finished? Uh, I thought that the finish was rushed. Yep. I thought that the timing of the towel getting thrown in was off because he was in the full lion tamer and Cody was not moving. Right. And I thought had they done it like when they were just putting on the hold and threw the towel in, I think it would have been better storytelling. Sure. I like the one comment I saw on Reddit where it was a it was a clip of what happened and, and the top comment was uh it was on the squared circle subreddit. The top comment was MJF turning heel when he's already a heel. Somewhere Kevin Owens is crying. I, yeah, I just I wasn't a fan of the whole. Now he's never going to get another title shot. Well, see, this is why I, just, I started having a conversation. I actually had good conversation on Twitter about this because uh, a couple fans were talking and saying, "No, this is how they preserve it because MJF cost him, so they can kind of retcon it." I, which I, I'm waiting to see how they explain it on uh, Dynamite. Today. Yeah, well, the Bucks already came out and said that the stipulation will be held. So there will be no reversing is what they said. So, But unless they do something like a Royal Rumble type where Cody wins. that See, I'm waiting to hear what they're doing, but I'm, I'm just more happy that we finally have heel MJF. Right. Because this happy-go-lucky Cody Lackey is boring as all hell. I But you know what, though? I enjoyed the butt-kissing MJF and then the bashing behind everyone else's back. Like the stuff that we saw in Being the Elite. Yeah. If you watch the YouTube show, you saw like, you know, he would be interacting with you know, one of the SE, uh, SCU guys, guys and completely crushing them to their faces. And then Cody Rhodes would come back and be like, oh, Cody, hey, bud, how, how you doing? Yeah, oh, I was just talking, you know, the SCU guys, like, they're so cool. Yeah, you know, this town does suck. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, yeah. And then Cody would turn his back again. He'd be like, don't ever look at me like that again. Oh, yeah, he's brilliant. And just to see him now get his push, 
I'm super happy about. And like I said, we talked about this on the Three Fat Nerds uh, show or network. So you can definitely hear that episode. And then next month, we got some guests coming on. And maybe we'll have some more ODPH panelists joining. Stay tuned for that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, you got that local minute, right? Yep, got to talk a little Binghamton Devils news. Uh, looking at their games from last week, uh, Wednesday they defeated the Utica Comets by the final score of 4-2. to two. Friday night uh, they defeated the, the Americans by a final score of 4-3. to three. And Ken, you got to give a disclaimer for this one. Wow, a double disclaimer. The thought, views, opinions of that of Padawan J do not reflect the ODPH podcast in any way, shape, or form. Listener discretion is advised. So Saturday night. Uh, home game against the Utica Comets. Happened to be my birthday. You know, gave a dollar. Happy, happy birthday! birthday. Gave, bow, a, bow, bow, bow. gave a dollar donation to the. Ma- you know, the dollar went to a Make a Wish Foundation. Had my name read off in the arena. It was a great experience. Really looking forward to the game. Uh, Devils ended up losing the game by a final score of three to two in overtime. However, I would say they didn't lose that game. No, the refs screwed them out of that game. So the. S- Refs screwed the refs? No, the refs screwed, screwed the, the, de- the devils. I'm sure they called a fair game. Uh, absolutely not. I Now, I realize I'm not like you, Ken. I haven't watched as much hockey as you have. I am not as well-versed in the rules as you are. I'm not. There are some things that you might be able to call clear as day, but I look out to see maybe nine times before I see it. But I'm watching this game going, there's a penalty. There's another penalty. They were not calling anything. There was one moment when uh, the the Devils were on a uh, penalty kill. We were down four players to their five. And and when uh, you're on the defensive, you're down a player, and you shoot the puck to the other end of the ice, you're not. They're not supposed to call icing like they normally would. Refs called icing. There was one moment when a player got knocked down into uh, their goalie by another player, but we got called for goalie interference. You get to the end of the game, and it's, you know, of course, you get to overtime, and it's three on three for five minutes in the American Hockey League. And going back and forth, and one of their players gets knocked into our goalie, and the puck goes into the net. And the, and the, they go, goal, it's good. And Utica got the hell off the ice as fast as humanly possible. The refs, get, and immediately our goalie stood up and started screaming his head off at the refs. Couldn't tell what was being said because, hey, he's a distance away, and he's got a mask on. He's screaming at the refs. Another player's screaming at the refs. The refs got together and started talking and it over. And then made the motion. And the entire time, mind you, the arena is booing louder than I've ever heard. Uh, to give a comparison, I'm talking Roman Reigns the night on Raw after he beat Undertaker WrestleMania loud. That it, is quite loud. It's loud. It was so loud that when the arena went and played the funky chicken dance music, which if you've been to a hockey game, you know what comes with that music. Hey, refs, you suck. Dun, 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 dun. You could not hear the music being played over the crowd booing. So the Devils that did not lose that game, the refs screwed them out of that game. End rant. Uh, looking at their games coming uh, this uh, this Pat week. coming with that hot take. Looking at their games coming in this week, they got a chance to get some revenge. Uh, they've got a game this Friday against at home against the uh, Phantoms. Game time, 7.05. Uh, Saturday, they've got a game again at home, 7.05. Uh, it's Pucks and Paws night at the arena, so you're able to bring a furry friend to the game. Uh, and then next week, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, they've got a chance for some revenge. They're playing Utica. Oh, so are you going to be in attendance for that one? Uh, no, that one's up in Utica. So no road trip up there to uh, no road trip up to Utica to inspect the referees and see what they're doing. No, 
Fair enough. No, I just wanted. No, to that, that that was definitely an instance where I'm I'm looking at this and I was you know with my girlfriend and I mentioned to her and a few people agreed with me. Uh, arena staff probably had to hold the refs in their locker room for maybe an extra half hour, forty five minutes because if they didn't, it was going to get ugly. Good thing we don't do Patreon because I'm sure your chat message to Coach and I that night was going to make it on there. Uh, probably because it, well, they went to do the three stars of the game and Devils player got the third star and the second player, Sattar, went to one of the Utica players. A couple of uh, bottles got thrown at him. Well, you don't want to see that happen, but I can understand the frustration of bad referee calls. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time, especially when a lateral from Baker Mayfield is called back and said <laughs> to be a forward pass. But we don't need to get into that, but I can definitely understand the frustration. Binghamton Bulldogs or I'm Bing- sorry, BinghamtonDevils.com because there was some bulldog action going on too. Now, was it as controversial as that, Coach? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So the Bulldogs came in against the Norristown Knights, put up a nice W, 121-98. Norristown came into that game, I believe, undefeated. Yep. So another good performance by the Bulldogs, uh, putting on their Facebook that this is their hottest start that they've had at 4-0. Ooh. Interesting when you've started every other season undefeated, but yeah. okay. Yeah, we yeah. They have a home game Saturday, November 16th versus the Westchester Wildcats at 7.05. That game, again, will be at St. Patrick's Gym in Binghamton. For more information, BinghamtonBulldogs.com. And we are still on the countdown to Syracuse. Yes. Oh, we are very much... On the countdown to Syracuse. Saturday, January, January 11th. That is coming. That is creeping up exponentially. Yeah, mm-hmm. We might have to shoot a line to them to see when tickets are going on sale for that game alone. I mean, yes, because <laughs> that's that will be must-watch. That's going to be must-watch if you've never been to a Binghamton Bulldogs <laughs> game and you can make it, obviously, to uh, all our out-of-country listeners. Uh, Shout-out and thank you for listening. Um, if you can make it to the game, it's going to be a must-attend game. If you can't, uh, expect some full highlights and Definitely a lot of live tweeting that night because that game is going to be out of control. But like Coach said, Saturday, November 16th, they're home again against Westchester, so BinghamtonBulldogs.com for more info on that. And let's get into rounding those bases, shall we? Sure. I'm going to lead us off here. Uh, talking a little baseball because, hey, postseason. But they're handing out some awards. Uh, I've got to mention Silver Slugger Award because our own DJ LeMahieu of the New York Yankees won the Silver Slugger Award for second base in the American League. Got to give a special shout-out to uh, Carlos Carrasco, a.k.a. Cookie, for winning the Roberto Clemente Award. Uh, obviously donating a lot and raising a lot of funds for leukemia. Also beating leukemia himself during the season. Huge. Huge congratulations to him. Uh, looking at Rookie of the Year, you've got to give a big shout-out to the former Binghamton Rumble Pony, Pete Alonzo, winning NL Rookie of the Year almost unanimously. Well-deserved. Falling one vote short. No, absolutely well-deserved. Uh, looking at the Cy Young Awards, which were just announced a little bit before as we re- are recording, Justin Verlander won the American League Cy Young Award. And uh, for the second straight year running, Jacob deGrom won the NL Cy Young Award. But the big controversy down in New York is uh, the AL Manager of the Year. Like we said on last week's show, it was Aaron Boone and two other folks because, hey, they had to name two other folks. Aaron Boone did not win Manager of the Year. Uh, they gave it to Rocco Baldelli of the Minnesota Twins. I do not agree with this decision because, hey, congratulations. Your team hit a lot of home runs, made it into the playoffs, and got swept in the first round. Meanwhile, you had the Yankees who had, had their own personal ward running at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital down in New York with an injury list that would be an all-star team for any other decade. Do not agree with it. Man, but hey, Ken Josh bringing the fire right now. Pad, Pad is bringing that smoke. Yeah, so a little, little heated, but hey, 
it is what it is. Moving on. <laughs> Other big story coming out of baseball this week is... You know, it is what it is, all right? It is what it is. Nothing, nothing nice. We ain't on Patreon. I can't really say what I want. You know, moving on, the other big story in baseball this week is, of course, uh, ex-Astros pitcher Mike Fires uh, going on the record with The Athletic and saying that the team uh, was stealing signs and doing it so electronically. Uh, so because of The Athletic is a paid subscription service and it's behind a paywall, uh, basically what happened, what he told them is that they had a camera set up in center field that was hardwired to a uh, television screen that was in from the dugout to leading to the clubhouse, so kind of in that kind of hallway walkway. And the camera was trained on the pitcher and would record what the signs were, and you'd see the pitches and the whole thing, and they'd figure out, okay, this signal means fastball, this signal means slider, whatever. And when it was going to be an off-speed pitch, they'd bang on a garbage can, you know, a couple times so the the batters would hear it and go, hey, this is coming. Now, of course, MLB is going to be investigating this because while, yes, you, you know, Stealing signs is a part of the game, but there's a difference between having a player on base mm-hmm. and maybe leaning a certain way if it's a certain pitch or maybe doing a hand signal or something like that. That's one thing, but it is against the Major League Baseball rules to use any such electronic devices to attempt to steal signs. Now, the thing a lot of people bring up is uh, back in the 2018 ALCS against the Boston Red Sox, there was a Astros employee kicked out of Fenway during the game. Uh, according to uh, bringing up an article from that year, uh, they were in the ALCS, as I mentioned, and according to Danny uh, Pickard of the Boston Metro, an Astros employee was removed from an area adjacent to the Red Sox dugout during game one of the ALCS in Boston. Citing multiple sources, uh, Picard reported that the man, quote, had a small camera and was texting frequently but did not have a media credential, close quote. Uh, I got to say, probably the funniest reaction out of this whole thing is former Yankees pitcher Phil Hughes saying, quote, I'm convinced every team was using cameras to steal signs, but only during my starts, close quote. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But well, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, we live in the day and age of the digital world invading sports. Mm-hmm. So stuff like this is bad. I am not trying to sugarcoat that, but yeah. it's almost the norm now, as weird as that is to say. Yeah. I mean, obviously not to throw shade on the Patriots, but no, yeah. I mean, Spygate has always been the hotbed topic, which this kind of brought got brought to the you know the mainstream. So this obviously is a bad look for the Astros. Now it just yeah. depends on what Major League Baseball wants to do as punishment. If you really want to send the message, you shouldn't be doing this. That's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, oh yeah. Do I believe that there is now an asterisk on their wins over the Yankees? Yes, and I will say that probably now. Oh, yeah, because the thing of it is, is the Yankees during that 2017 uh, postseason, the LCS, they did not win a game. In Houston, Houston for for what it's worth, in twenty seven the twenty seventeen playoffs was where they were three and six on the road and eight and one at home, yeah. which is almost unheard of. Yeah, it's a little fishy there, but karma came back to haunt them this year, uh-huh. so I guess it pans out. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Coach, what you got, Ken? Let me ask you something. Okay, you ever heard of Evansville? No, um, only on a map. Can't say I have. The only thing we're coming to Bell is maybe Bob Evans, but where, that's where, a where would you say Evansville is? Kentucky? I don't, maybe, sure. I don't know. But they, whatever they are, they beat Kentucky last night. Uh-huh. Number one team in the nation at home. They got spanked on their own court. The Kentucky, number one in the nation at home, favored by 25. And not to mention, guess how much Evansville got for beating Kentucky? Probably a pretty penny. $80,000 to come in, be dogs by eight by 20 points, and then come in and beat Kentucky on their own court. Heck of a day for Walter McCarty, the former 
Kentucky Wildcat. I'll say, hey, uh, Evansville, going to be a number one seed? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I can't argue with it. <laughs> they got the credentials. No, when it, you beat the number one team on their court, they're two and zero, and they beat the number one team in the when, nation. When you beat the man, you, I mean, hey, Rick Flair said it man. himself. When you beat the man, you are the man. So, hats off to them. Uh, crazy, uh, you know, mind blowing. Mind blowing. Then you talk about the fact that our own local Binghamton University went to Michigan State and got spanked and got absolutely destroyed. Oof. The spread. Oof was astronomical to begin with, and I knew that Michigan State was going to cover. Got into an argument with a friend on the way home from the Giants game. What did they cover, like six? They went, they went won by 60 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the spread was only 40. Oof. Only 40. Oof. I said that That's they were going to co- cover. My friend, no, 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 Michigan State will pull back the dogs. I said, uh-uh. It's Coach Izzo. Not so fast, my friend. They're going to cover this spread, and not only did they cover it, they almost doubled it. <laughs> yeah. That was incredible. So, yeah, I mean, tough break for BU. I mean, good for them for getting to play these games. Last year they played Notre Dame, so to go and now play Michigan State. I want to say it's at least the second time in maybe five years they've played Michigan State, and both times they've gotten spanked. Yeah, I mean, you know, these games that they play. Builds character. Yeah, it builds character. It's great for the the kids to get to go and experience these games. I mean, I'm sure it's probably uh, awe-shocking for them to to be able to walk into, you know, Michigan State or play at Notre Dame or – you know, when they did the games at the Dome and played Syracuse, you know, to walk into the facilities and get to experience that. Um, they, yeah, so, I mean, good for them. Evansville, top of the tip of the cap Yeah. to you, fine, sir, for $80,000 and a win against the number one team in the nation. Absolutely. It gives inspiration going into March Madness. I mean, way too early, yes, Well, but it still gives inspiration. Does Coach Cal get fired now? I mean, that's got to be the talk that comes <laughs> out of this. You know what? I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, just because you know how he's that, lost his touch. You know how that goes. I mean, to me, it's almost you have to <laughs> break it down bring, for me on bring this. Him into the I, hey, I'm just saying. You know, if you lose to Evansville on your own home court, I guess, I guess, you know, the hourglass is up. I it's mean, time to return. I mean, to be fair, I don't think Virginia fired their head coach when uh, UMBC beat them in the tourney. Sure, sure. No, they didn't. They didn't. That's fair point, Pad. But I'm just saying, you know, maybe Cal Perry's luck has ran its course, and it's time to just pay the piper here and, say, and let walk Cal, away. Let Cal Perry go from Kentucky. There's a certain job in New York that oh, might be open. God, I don't want wow. that one again. Wow. I don't want that again. Wow, Pad. We've been down that road. Pad is wants some smoke yeah, from Pad everybody here just, tonight. Jesus. Yeah. This is not not earning any favors today, Pat. Wow, we've been down that road. We've seen Cal Perry in a Knicks coach. It's not fun. I know we're getting Patino po- was worse. I, I don't Cal Perry coached in New Jersey and hey, Boston. Patino, I'm sorry, Patino's not coaching these days either. Good. I know we're getting pod rated, so Pat is making the full most of this moment to introduce himself to the rest of the Pod Chaser group. Shout out to Next Wave. So uh, Pad wants that smoke, folks. This is going to be I a want this, the smoke. This is going to be a wild episode to close with. By the way, University of Evansville, Indiana. Ah. So that explains why the Indiana University uh, Hoosiers were real excited. Yeah, I would definitely say so. So obviously, my mistake about Kentucky. I thought it was an well, in-state rival game. Yeah, but the I joke th- was nobody knows where it is. Ken, it's okay. To be fair, though, I think there is an to Evansville, be fair, Kentucky. Yeah, that's why I thought it was Evansville, Kentucky. Yeah. So, but you know me, I got to do my fact searching. Sure, but we do it live. We don't do edits. So let me round the bases here. A uh, couple quick notes, UFC wise. Obviously, the results of the BMF title controversy has spawned. Talk of Nick Diaz coming out of retirement to go fight Jorge Masvidal. Oh my lord! Uh, I'm excited for that one. Anytime. Has anybody ever anybody ever beaten both Diaz brothers? 
Boy, that's a good question. It, it'd be a rare feat. I don't think many. I don't think many people have. That's Not that a I know of. real. I'm, I got to think of how many have fought both brothers. It's very short that, list. Okay, uh, Twitter OD Parlay Hour. Let me know. Um, so obviously, if they can make that title fight happen, I'm okay with that. Masvidal was talking about fighting Canelo in a boxing match. Yeah. I don't want to hear any of this nonsense. That's like Tyson Fury talking now fighting uh, Miosic. In a boxing match, I don't care for it. Listen, I respect everybody's athletic ability, but let's keep it in the lanes. If you're boxing, that's what you know. That's what you do. If you're MMA, do MMA and do it well. The last MMA note I heard is it's all but official. Johnny Bones Jones against Dominic Reyes is all but signed. He, okay. All there's, right. there's been some Twitter talk back and forth, and he, John, I believe, said in a tweet that Reyes was going to be the next guy. Where they go from here, who knows? Way too early for a title announcement, but he is going to be staying at light heavyweight for the time being, at least to fight Reyes, which I think will be a walk in the park for John. Probably. And, and yeah, nothing's really impressed me about Reyes fighting there. So to close out the base section of this segment, though, college football playoffs have been announced. Obviously, big ramifications from Alabama taking the L to LSU. First yep. home loss in four years. Right. So the college football playoff bracket way too early has been announced. Okay. Number one is LSU. Number two, Ohio State, or should I say the Ohio State? No, you can say Ohio State. You don't have to put the in front of it. They tried trademarking it, but they lost it. Yeah. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Georgia. Oregon and Alabama are outside looking in. Thoughts about this bracket thus far? Makes sense. Can I tell you the death scenario that I've concocted in my brain talking Uh, to friends? Oh, boy. You ready for this? Okay. Okay. There is an inkling that I feel that if – the SEC championship game boils down to LSU versus Georgia. Okay. Georgia wins said game. Sure. And that's the first LSU loss. Okay. There is a way that three SEC teams uh, make it. Uh. The way that it works, Georgia and LSU have to play in the big in the SEC title game, which it is going to be as of right now, tentatively scheduled with Georgia winning the whatever part of the yeah, SEC and yeah. LSU winning the other. Yeah. Minnesota beats Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. Okay. Ohio State falls down. Or Ohio State, excuse me, Ohio State has to lose to Michigan. Okay. okay. Then they have one loss. Then they lose to Minnesota again. Okay. okay. Now two losses. Yeah. They fall out. Yeah. Minnesota, the committee's not sold on them. So they put them at five. Minnesota then goes to the Rose Bowl. You'd be looking at number one team. Would be Clemson now because they would win the ACC. Two would be LSU. Three would be a one-loss Georgia team who just won the SEC title, and four would be Alabama. That's who my was wor- on the outside looking in. That's my worst nightmare. Yep. That's a that's to side note off that. That was kind of why I found it funny. I think it was first take uh, on Monday. We had something like. They were talking about the Alabama loss, and they're like, "Oh, do you think this is, you know, this kind of eliminates Alabama from the postseason contention?" And I'm like, "I'm not convinced Alabama's out of the playoff picture until the playoff picture is finalized, and we have the four teams that are in, and Alabama's not one of those four. Correct. Coach Duffy is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. Very. This is like some next level. It's a very, it's a very, very real scenario because if Minnesota goes undefeated and the committee's not sold on them, they're not going to put them in the title picture just because they won the Big Ten. It's Damn. very, it's a very, very real death scenario. At Coach Duffy eleven <laughs> on Twitter. Hey, I mean, I just breaking it down as is. I mean, the committee already has, and just like Pat said, you can't count Alabama out until the final polls come out. Okay. 
And that is and that is definitely something the committee would do because they would credit the fact that LSU beat Alabama in Alabama. They would credit Georgia for winning the SEC title against LSU, a team that beat Alabama in Alabama, and then they would give Alabama the nod because they're a one-loss Alabama team who plays in the, ooh, the SEC. I'm just ooh. wrapping my head around this whole, like, scenario. Yeah, I think about it. Chew it. Let I, I suggest uh, you let that marinate. Yeah, I'm going to let this marinate because, yeah. It's very real. It is. It's scary how real it could actually happen. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna have to mark the tape on this one when they do the. Uh, well, I mean, it's. I, I, it's I know a it's big I what know, if. I know it's early, but yeah. still, if you. And I, I definitely if, don't see Georgia beating LSU, but it's a very what if. If we did it, if if we got it right, coach, we're gonna be blaring this when they make the announcement. All right, let's just hope we're wrong. I hey, for obvious <laughs> reasons. For obvious reasons. So let's get into those locks and leaps now, shall we, and take the show home. So I will kick us off. Okay. Oh, look at that, doing that again, huh? Or would you like me to wait? I no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. All go right, ahead. so as I said early in the show, I'm getting my fantasy football revenge. I'm taking the Niners over Kyle Murray and uh, Arizona. Give me the points, 11 and a half. We're going to do this by 14. Ooh. Yeah, I don't care. I'm going to take off some people in Arizona, but you know it's all right. And for my leap... There is a certain betting rule I have. Okay. If mm-hmm. the Steelers are a dog, you take them. Oh. If they're favorite, you don't, unless you take them to win straight up. Okay. They're going back to Cleveland. It's a divisional game. Cleveland, I'm sure, is going to be feeling themselves a little bit. I don't know Ooh. what kind of the shaving, grooming tips are going to be for <laughs> going into that game. The dog pound, you know, is going to be the dog pound no matter what. They're going to be seven. But this is Steelers, Browns. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be tough. It's going to be... Smash Mouth football at its finest, but you know, give me the Steelers. I'll say the dog okay. pound will be loud, but whether that's cheers or boos remains to be seen. Exactly. So that's who I'm taking this week. A lot of good games to pick from. So, Pad, who you got? Well, for my lock, I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings to defeat the Denver Broncos. Currently, Minnesota is a 10.5-point favorite. I think they'll be able to do that. Uh, and then for my leap, this one was real interesting. It's almost a toilet bowl scenario, if you will. You've got the uh, New York football Jets taking on the Washington Redskins. Oh, where, uh, yeah, where, yep, wa- where yep. Washington is currently a 1.5-point favorite. I think the Jets are going to be able to do this because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Washington is starting Dwayne Haskins as their quarterback for Correct, this game. Correct, indeed, yes. So, I think, you know, the Jets are going to be able to do this. Over, under, how many ghost Sam Darnold sees? Uh, Four. Okay. Hey, I just saw them live. Let me spell it out for you here of who my leap is. It goes J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Just saw I I like offensively the way that they're playing. Jamal Adams is a beast up live. I saw him take Daniel Jones' cookies and then deposit them in his mouth without milk. Because he's that gangster. It was unreal. So, love that game. Jets, minus one and a half. Easy win on the road. They're going to absolutely destroy Dwayne Haskins. Then my lock, and I had it. Bear with me, people. Talk amongst yourselves. My lock is going to be the Saints going against Tampa Bay. Okay. On the road, five and a half. They will cover this. This will be the game that they say, forget what happened in Atlanta. Look what we just did. Here, they are going to absolutely obliterate Tampa Bay. That is my luck. So the Saints and Jets are both favored? They are, but hold on real quick. I got one more for you. All right. The over-under on this Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, 49.5. I love the over. Ooh, all right. Bonus pick for you. Take the over. It's going to be a high-off score. 
offensive scoring game. New Orleans defense is on tilt right now. Tampa Bay's defense is terrible to begin with. They just cut their starting corner. It is going to be touchdowns galore. As they like to say, defense optional? Yes, defense is optional. So this should be a high-scoring game. What do you think the score is going to be with Washington being the favorite for the Jets? The th- Three to two. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it will be Jets defense 14, Washington's offense three. It's going to be a fun game this weekend. And there I say, Bills Mafia had better not lose in Miami. Jets got to come up. Jets got to get up for this one. Back-to-back toilet bowls. That's got to yeah. be tough to, yeah. to get up for. How do you justify that to your fan base? It's so uh, bad. It's I mean, it's not back-to-back toilet toilet home games like they could have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That being said, the music you heard on this episode is that of Fair City Fire. They're friends from Austin, Texas. They have some great music out. You can find that on OchoDuralParleyHour.com under the music section. You can find out all about them. Shout at the robots. Honker, Walking Distance, so much great music. You can also go over to Hashtag 67 Podcast, find all about Three Fat Nerds, 8122 Productions. They're on Patreon now, so you should definitely check that out and donate. And Horizon 607, Photography by Mike Blakesley. Plus, you have Parlay Points, the complimentary blogs to the ODPH Podcast during the week. There's so much going on, OchoDuroParleyHour.com, that you definitely need to go and check out. Also want to give a shout-out to the... Next Wave group that is pod rating this episode. Shout out to Matt from Imaginary Ramblings and Lit Gaming Arena who run the alternate reality radio list on Podchaser. So if you're looking for podcasts to check out, definitely go to podchaser.com. Type in alternate reality radio. You'll find a bunch of great podcasts that you need to add to your listening rotation. Enough said there. Because that's all I got for this week. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night. And have Good luck for Padawan J. Coach Cal for the Knicks head coach. This was also Padawan J's last show with the ODPH, so we're... (laughs) Boy better watch his back (laughs) in the streets right now. Exactly. It's a long walk to the car. I'm your host, Ken. Go grab my Tims. (laughs) I'm your host, Ken. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.